Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I tackle the baffling stuff. Issues 2 and 3 of Airboy by James Robinson and Greg Inkle, The Rape of Lobo, When Should Explicit Comics Be Explicitly Labeled as Such, The Mysterious Majesty of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, The Majestic Mystery of Mighty Marvel's Missteps, a speed round overview of the 20 plus titles we've been reading, and believe me when I say this, much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! How the devil are you, sir? I'm I'm deviled. I'm deviled, I would have to say. Yeah. Oh, are you deviled? Yeah, That's somewhere between good. deviled and hard-boiled, I suppose. No, we... Oh, I, I see what joke you're going for. Yeah. I, I thought you were telling me you were having a bad day. No. I... I, I my empathy got engaged. <laughs> you're purely making fun of me. No, no, no. Not making fun of you. Not making fun of you. Just trying to make light just, of... Just making fun of your language. Yes, exactly. Just the things you say, <laughs> Graham. Just the things you say. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> and how about yourself? How are you? I am perfectly good. I am uh, sitting here in the office for the first time in a while. As you know, we've been... Having some warm weather, mm-hmm. and I have the blinds drawn. I feel very, I don't know, relaxed. Let, let's go with relaxed. <laughs> it's time for Graham McMillan after hours. Exactly. <laughs> it's time for Wade Watt after dark. <laughs> oh man, that would be the most hilarious entry to do if it wouldn't be just like the most terrifying. So. Exactly. And also probably the most depressing, let's be honest. Oh yeah, completely. Wait, what, after dark? We're just reading comics. I'm eating graham crackers. That's right, graham crackers. And you, Graham? It's like, I'm... <laughs> I'm eating I, Jeff crackers. Yes, see, there you go. It's like, it's a little disturbing. It's a little... It's a little it's a it little is, graham crackers is, it become a lot less fun when your name is Graham. It's <laughs> like, really? Really? Is that what you're doing? Because I'm not, I'm not done without you guys. <laughs> exactly. Veto on the graham cracker <laughs> Um So, uh, comic books. I feel like there's so many comics to discuss. Um... I'm not really sure I have things to say, per se, so it's going to be kind of fun. Yeah, woohoo! Uh, I, I want to ask you uh, mm-hmm. about comics that you said you might be buying uh, in email this week, and I'm curious if you bought it, which is uh, Airboy Issue 3. I did. I did. I bought issue Airboy Issue 2 and Issue 3. Please um, tell me all about it, because I didn't get Issue 3, in large part because... Issue 2 was such a letdown for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was thinking this earlier on today. I was like, Issue 2 completely threw me off the train. Um, and I read, I can't even remember who, but I read someone's review of Issue 3 today that was basically, hey, I didn't like Issue 2, and Issue 3 is even worse. Uh, so I'm very yeah. curious, uh, basically, what I'm missing. And, in fact, whether I am missing anything. I'm going to throw you in the deep end, Jeff. No, no, no. That That's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, well, let me say this. For people who uh, might be even a little uh, later to this party than I am, if you like the first issue of Airboy, um, you might – I would think – I highly recommend you hunt, hunt down a copy of Sam Zabel and the Magic Pen by Dylan Horrocks if you, if you haven't <laughs> already. Wow. 
Really? Well, because I think I think there's they ha- there's a lot of common ground there. There's a oh, lot. Oh, I of thought, I thought you were saying if you like this, if you like the first issue, why don't you read something better? Well, no, I that is what I'm saying. Yes, yeah. absolutely, that is what I'm saying. Sorry, I feel I feel that that Horrix tills a uh, at least the a lot of the same ground of the first issue, which is to say. Uh, a comic book creator who feels that they have hacked themselves out, are lacking inspiration, and are kind of staring down the barrel of comics as a black hole, I suppose. Um, they, they both cover that, uh, that ground. I think, I think Robinson actually ups the ante considerably by putting his own name on, and, and the name of the artist on the, uh, the characters in the first issue. But I think Horrocks has done an amazing job of, you know, if you know really anything about his, um, his, his career after Pickle, you know, uh, it, it feels incredible. It has that same sort of um, draw to it, you know. It's got that sort of like, oh, like kind of like, oh my god, it feel metafiction, but with stakes, I suppose, which almost seems yeah. impossible, you know, if you think about it. And yet, I thought what I liked about the first issue of Airboy uh, was that that was the way that it honestly felt, you know. And okay, I, so. Because yes. I did read the second issue, and mm-hmm. so I want to interrupt here because one of the things that really threw me off the train about the second issue yes. was that what felt honest about Robinson talking about himself and his career in the first issue felt false in the second issue. And I'm not entirely sure why. I remember there's a specific conversation in the second issue where I, I want to say uh, the artist Hinkle says something like, so is DC that bad? And right. Robinson's like, yes, it's terrible. And it felt, whereas the first issue felt like he was just being honest about his experience, like that felt weirdly like point scoring in a way. Mm. And, and added a, a level of of artifice to it, I guess, mm. that, that made me think, oh, you, you are just like, you're just trying to get back at your old bosses. Well, actually, you know. And there's a lot more to dislike about the second issue. Like that's, that's a minor. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So how about I, I, I just, it, that? Like that when you were saying that, it struck out to me. Yes. So how about this? There is a um, the 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 panels are. Um, Hinkle says something like, uh, "You know, it's bad in reference to uh, like quitting DC," and and Robinson, the character, says, "DC, it is what it is." Lots of rewriting and changing in direction, seemingly on editorial whims. Lots of interfering. Pain in the ass, but nothing I can't handle. And they pay pretty good. It's just, well, I know I'm not meeting my potential. The stuff I do, the people that people like about my writing, it's just not finding its way into my work at DC anymore. Maybe it's them squashing it or me not bringing it. All I know is I need to shake things up or my life's never going to fix itself. And how, how do I put it? I found I maybe you looked at it as as the glass was half vindictive, but to me, I I actually thought that that was far too cowardly and diplomatic a response. Kind of. What's well, really interesting is you're saying that now, and I'm like, oh, that's not how I remember it at all, because that is much better than than what I remembered it as. Mm. I remembered it as far 
more forgiving towards him and far less forgiving towards DC. But then when you say like that, like when you actually read the piece back to me, mm-hmm. sure, he, he it is nowhere near as bad as I remembered it. Yeah, yeah. So so it could be that you walked away with that first taste in in part because you know it's it's kind of the. Um, you know, comics really are sort of like poetry in that way, in that the the stuff that gets put to you in one panel, you know, it, it can flow into the second panel, but that first panel is can be your takeaway sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. he really does I, I think you're yeah, I think you're being much more forgiving towards me there. I think I literally just misremembered it. <laughs> well, but but how do I put it? For me, I certainly had more of the same sort of um, sense, uh, it, but but more from the sense of like, oh, this guy's like kind of like, oh, he's really not going to be that. That's more honest than than, of course, a lot of writers might be in today's industry, but far less, uh, far less honest, more honest. I don't know. It's not nearly as candid as the first issue would lead you to believe. It it ends up being a little bit of a political thing, both about DC and about himself, you know? Like, there's a little bit of that, like, you know, kind of like, I just have to, you know, whatever's going wrong with my life, I just have to shake it up to fix it. And I'm, I'm kind of like, that, that, like, it doesn't really seem to make any sense, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of yeah. stuff that he's clearly doing wrong, you know? Well, the other thing that really struck me about the second issue, mm-hmm. and the reason I, I was like, I don't think I'm going to read any more of this, right. uh, had to do with the metatextuality, mm-hmm. which is in the second issue, and I'm curious to find out if this is true of the third issue as well, it goes everywhere you expect it to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm not even getting into the transphobic element. Oh, yeah. Because I think I'm, I think I'm actually more forgiving of, of Robinson's intent than many there. Yes. I think, I think it really is in many ways a generational issue and he thought that he was being an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the, the fictional characters arrived and he's disgusted by the real world mm-hmm. was, it was everything you would expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really felt, dull compared with the first issue because the first issue had been such a surprise in its honesty exactly the first issue was really bracing the second issue was predictable apart from the 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 transphobia and i think honestly one of the things that i found very depressing about the third issue is you know robinson like made a point like i put down the third issue and i'm like wow robinson was really interested in apologizing to anyone on the internet, because I honestly thought that there would have been space for his for that statement on his letters page for the third issue. And I was kind of like, unless I'm mistaken, you can fit that sort of thing in there. And there just it was not mentioned at all, at all, like all the controversy of the second issue. Now, I could totally be um, misunderstanding the nature of the way that they're getting this stuff printed and shipped such that by the time that second issue, you know, um, the the controversy broke out on the internet, there was yeah, just might, no way to address it. After he, yeah. yeah, it might have broken after it got Yeah, to the issue went to the printers, exactly. Yeah. But I was very like, my my problem with the third issue is is it's it it it's it's an it's almost like another step down. Like what happens in the third issue is um Robinson and Hinkle make it and end up in 
you know, sort of this crazy steampunky World War Two, uh, and after a big action scene where they are, you know, chased by uh, German planes, strafed by German planes, they crawl into the secret headquarters of Airboy, Skywolf, the Flying Dutchman, Iron Ace, Black Angel, and Valkyrie, and um, well. Basically, they proceed to kind of muck things up. Robinson finds a a dead version of himself um, inside their morgue in, in a kind of weird, magical, like, you know, I've got an urge to look around and it's drawing me into this room and I need to know who's in this drawer. And it's a British soldier with, you know, his name and his face and a photo of his wife inside. And... It's part of me is like, you know, so he spends a certain page where he's sort of talking about how he's a terrible person and how his wife deserves better. Um, but in but it's entirely unearned, like that's yeah, that's oh, weirdly cheap. It's <laughs> and that's it. So the the personal revelation stuff seems to be getting cheaper and cheaper with each issue. And then on the flip side of it, the whole like. You know, it, it's, this, this is going to be the sort of dickish comment that hopefully lots of people will disagree with me, but it basically just becomes a Joe Casey comic by this point. You know, it's just kind of glib, unearned, messing about in a way that's like, oh, hey, look at me, transgressive, yeah, you know, kind of thing. Cause you, but you wait, end up like, okay, but super curious, where's the transgression there then? Oh, what like, happens? Are you, they leave okay. they leave the morgue after he spent some time weeping on his wife about his wife and they essentially walk in on the comic book artist fucking Valkyrie. So um you can't see, but literally I just did a like hand gesture of Oh come on. Yes, yes. Exactly. Exactly. So Airboy gets really pissed off. Um, you know That's I mean that's astonishingly cheap. Oh yeah. Oh, believe me. Believe like, me. Staggeringly cheap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I believe me. I know. I know. And so there's this whole thing Airboy gets pissed off and had like enough of you guys. I'm going to make you run the super special top secret World War 2 mission, you know, um cuz I've had it with you. And it's and it's just like what? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of that thing of like, it's bad. Unfortunately, it's really one of those situations where it w- runs off the road. That's such a shame yeah. because, because the first issue was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it I, was. I know that a lot of people liked it even more than we did, but mm-hmm. we liked it. Mm-hmm. We quite did. Absolutely. I really liked that first issue enough to where it was like, I missed the second issue. So I ponied up on both issues at a go being like, you know what? It's going to be problematic, but it should be interesting. And unfortunately it didn't really even come out being interesting, you know? Yeah. That's, that's such a shame. You know, if, if, for people who've read my review of Sam Zabel and and the magic pen, they, they may know that, um, I had some problems with Horik's book because Horik's book also has a lot of, um, it, it has an entirely different, um, there's sort of a similar fixation, I suppose, on the idea of tying in, um, I guess for lack of a better word, sexual frustration and creative 
artistic block blocking, I suppose, uh, constipation. Yeah. But Horrocks moves in a much more kind of Tumblr approved fashion that I that I thought didn't really do justice to the issue, but at least continued to sort of there there was a lot of delving and that point that was reached I arguably you could say was a good one maybe I don't know I don't I don't I wasn't I wasn't crazy about it but it still ended up being leagues beyond where Robinson decides to go with this thing like the despite how he's playing it as it it feels a lot of it feels unearned it feels like a lot of um I don't know what the right word is, you know, pity pandering. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. What's super interesting to me about this and the way it's worked out is it sort of retroactively makes the first issue look cheaper. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the, you know, you, cause you really are end, ending up going like, Oh, that was all there to set up this bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, or, or the idea is kind of to give the bullshit stakes and it is, I suppose it's possible that Robinson is going to somehow like I don't I don't even know how many issues this is. Uh six, I think. I'm assuming it's a six issue limited series. Yeah, I think it's six. Yeah, so I you know, I sort of assume that of course at the end there's going to whatever level of you know, Robinson's uh possible redemption, you know might be tied to something in a way that could sort of really strike a chord, but it feels incredibly off base. It feels really, really not just out of touch with the audience, uh, which of course is, is where the, you know, some of that controversy from issue two hits, but just out of touch with itself. It is, the book is super highly disingenuous, um, and who knows? Maybe it'll maybe it'll run. Maybe there will be stuff that is much deeper. Like maybe this is kind of a, um, the idea is is that it's going to you know supposed to faint and trick people into thinking, oh, okay, so it's going to be much more of a, a lightweight farce before he really doubles down on on other stuff. It doesn't seem like it at all, though. It really doesn't. So. I don't know, you know, so it, it, it was, it was depressingly disappointing or disappointingly depressing. I don't know. I guess depressing, depressingly disappointing. I can't imagine that I'm going to come back to four. Four has basically been relegated to a, well, I'll flip through it on the stands and maybe if there's a standout sequence, I would consider getting it. But at this point, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's probably just better off to leave it alone. I, I honestly am weirdly saddened. About oh, yeah. That. And I don't know why. There's a few things. I mean, so, so Robinson lives in San Francisco. I do not know him and have never met him, but the nature of the city being what it is, um, I've heard at least secondhand that if nothing else, he, the, a lot of the concerns about his, career, his ability to actually connect with the readers of feeling like he's become a peripheral person and not vital. Uh, I, I, again, second, third hand, I, I get the sense that those fears are very real 
And so yeah, not I, genuine. Yeah. And so there is some element of it that came from a very real place, even if the rest of it, you know, is possibly dressed up in um, you know, upping the ante of like, oh, I'm a bad husband and I'm a drug addict, you know, or maybe that stuff is, you know, com- is, is also a component of it. But there seems to be, it is very much, um, it just, it just, it doesn't feel honest. And the stuff that sort of seems like it might be entertaining is entirely familiar. It's just the way, the extent to which he pushes the envelope with it, you know? Yeah. So, and, and, and I just, I don't really find that especially interesting. Um, you know, by contrast, um, I, I've, I don't know, was, this is, this is how out of the comic news loop that I am, Graham. Was there any sort of controversy about the seventh issue of The Humans? By, uh, I've seen. At all. By image. I, I've not seen anyone talk about the humans since people were complaining about the monkey fucking. And I want to say that was like issue one. Yeah. Well, the monkey fucking comes back with a vengeance <laughs> the in issue seven. Is back. It really is. No, I mean, it is. But uh, here's the thing. Chances are no one's reading it, Jeff. Well, no, I know. That's kind of why I'm assuming might be the case. Like, they're kind of like, oh, hey, well, no one's. We're just going to. We're just really going to push this. So, you know, I actually. I. I. I like the humans a lot as a sort of it's it's what I would want from a retro 70s movie pastiche comic like it really does hit you know the 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 sweet spots like in fact one of the um the 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 bad member of the humans who actually betrays the whole gang and sets them up to die. You see him walking out of the room while they're uh, partying, not knowing that they're going to, you know, basically all get gunned down. And he lights a cigarette with his lighter and you see uh, there's a close-up panel of him holding his cigarette lighter and it's engraved with, in quotes, so it goes, you know, which is just such a great... 70s Kurt Vonnegut reference you know it's just kind of interesting it's the sort of thing that you couldn't really work in there you know um in an actual 70s movie I guess but yeah you know. I, but what is funny is that you said so it goes and I was like oh Vonnegut and I immediately had a reaction of yeah but you don't use it there <laughs> like Vonnegut so it goes was uh was one of of resignation of uh of a pacifist mm-hmm. and, and of, of a character who, I don't know, was so resigned to man's inhumanity towards man. Right. That, that he realized that he himself had no power to, to, uh, not interact that, but change it, I guess. And mm-hmm. I feel that using it in that scene, in that purpose mm-hmm. is like, it's like reading the Wikipedia entry on Slaughterhouse Five, but not actually understanding what it's about. Or, or <laughs> the alternate, and I could be wrong, is is that it's actually taking Vonnegut, and it's very much looking looking at it through a glass darkly. You know, it's very much a like this. The there are there's a variety of different sorts of seventies trash cinema. You know, and there are ones that are just 
really, really super, super dark. And I feel by taking Vonnegut's statement and putting it, you know, on the lighter of a betrayer before a big gun down, it's taking that acknowledgement of death. And to me, and, and I can see why you disagree, I really think, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt to the the creators of the book, that it's a signal that this is that this is the bad 70s, that everything that's, you know, if you didn't catch on from the first six issues of having people be blown open with shotguns and slaughtered and ridiculous amounts of, like, drunken, methed out partying and orging on, on the part of this biker gang, it's like... It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's bizarro Kurt Vonnegut. This is, this is, this is a, a book without hope that there's, that there, or alternately that there, instead of, you know, Kurt Vonnegut's classic, you know, sugar coating on bitter pills, that it's a very, very bitter coating on a sugar pill. I do not think so. But that being said, it is this, the, the sex in this issue, which once again gets intercut with, you know, an orgy of destruction is ridiculously explicit. Like it is serious. Like, you know, there is no other way to put it other than it is actual full on penetration shown close up. And it's like, huh, that's, yeah, that's not <laughs> happening under any sheet. You know what I mean? And so it's, I was like, part of me is like, oh, hey, great, more monkey sex. And it's intercut with like <laughs> a violent, you know, monkey gun down. But at the same time, I also found myself thinking like, A, I think they kind of did this a little bit better a few issues ago. And B, like somebody's going to end up in jail because of this. You know what I mean? Because there's not, there is there's there's no labeling on the front and back of this. Like you said, if there is no – if nobody's reading it, if these retailers are just throwing this on the shelf, you know, I can't imagine that, that some little kid is going to be like, oh, man, I really want to see what these monkeys with the, yes, the jackets of the middle these. fingers – yeah, no, seriously – Anyone who's picking this up thinking like, oh, great, a Gorilla Grodd spinoff, you know, is like there is going to be some serious hell to pay for some poor Texas comic retailer, you know, who's not paying attention. And I, I feel I feel very, very antsy about that. I mean, Airboy has, uh, you know, um, a ridiculous green and blue penis flapping around uh, at, at the at the end of, of cartoonist Greg Hingle's, um junk but you do not actually see it being like positioned right in front of the old vaginal canal and you do not later see it like um in flagrante uh, delictico or el apito or whatever you want to use or judd apito in flagrante judd apito i mean it no, is not please please do not say that ever again <laughs> no that is i'm like t-shirt we need a t-shirt uh yeah no no I don't ever I that is the worst thing I think that's coming out of my mouth in at least seven or eight minutes. Uh it, it's it's shocking. It really to me, I really had that moment of like, okay, like this kind of it's kind of is sort of a little bit of a uh and so you see what I'm saying, Graham? The book itself is kind of a nihilistic landmine just sitting there on a comic book rack waiting to go off. Um and as much as I think that um 
Keenan Marshall Keller and Tom Neely are pretty happy about that. And God knows somebody at Image Comics looked at it and was kind of like, eh, sure, you know, they want to put well, this out. But, it's their sure. book, you know. But uh, but are they like? Is that that's not the way Image works, right? Well, I, like, to, is mm-hmm. is there a mechanism? And this is, I, I'm asking you a question that I know you can't answer. Mm-hmm. But is there a mecha- mechanism with an image where they can look at a book and see penetration and go, "Oh shit!" Right. Like this can't go out. Well, I, because I, that's I, it's my understanding that there's not. No, there's absolutely. I agree. And uh, don't get me wrong. A, I like the issue. B, I don't even mind looking at sex. Believe it or not. My issue is just the fact that this shit has to go out labeled. It has to go out labeled. Like, yeah, because otherwise, you really are excuse the pun, fucking the retailers. Yes, yeah, because you, they're mm-hmm. the ones who are going to have to deal with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Them and and if they're lucky, the CBLDF. But seriously, this could end up. This is exactly the sort of thing that if those these issues don't sell, somebody marks down, throws in a quarter bin right next to, you know, a couple of old issues of, like, Casper and a bunch of issues of Batman Nightfall that didn't sell. And then, you know, I mean, it, it really is kind of a thing of, like, this This really is, uh, I, I thought, uncomfortably irresponsible. So... And I say that as somebody who's really has enjoyed the book, but I'm just like, whoa, 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 you know, I don't exactly. No, 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 no. Like, the, yeah, this is this is all cute and everything, but yeah, 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 yeah. But so, so I have to say, really interested to see. <laughs> it's going to be great. Fifteen, twenty years from now, we'll be talking, and you'll be like, hey, remember when that you said that one issue of the humans, and someday someone was going to get it. That never did happen, did it? And it's like, uh, no. Yeah, but, but yeah. that's just it. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, that is the best, best case, case scenario. Best case scenario is no one notices. Yeah, yeah. Which really does seem, um, yeah. Irresponsible. So anyway. mm-hmm. yeah, right. <laughs> like, genuinely, if your best case scenario is, I hope no one notices we did this. Right, right. Then, yeah, that's that's not great. Um, what's funny is you talking about this reminded me. So you haven't been paying attention to to the comics internet, but I've seen a lot of people complain about the on panel rape of Lobo in this week's issue of Lobo from DC. <laughs> what really? Yeah, an on panel rape of Lobo, which because it's in the first like four pages of the comic means no one at DC thought to check the preview pages they were sending out to the internet. Oh and wow. So, the preview pages for the internet, I swear to God, feature the on-panel rape of Lobo. Wow. Yeah. Good job, everyone involved in that decision. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, so what's interesting is, I've seen people basically be like, this is terrible, DC. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen fans basically say it. I've seen no retailers say it. Mm-hmm. I've seen no... Uh, for one of a better way of putting it, like comic book internet names saying it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because, again, no one's really reading Lobo. Right. Uh, although it's part of DC's preview pack. Like, I got a copy of Lobo in the mail this week. Or if it's because, say you're a retailer, right? Mm-hmm. And you notice Lobo or you notice the humans. And to be honest, the human sounds much worse. I've not read it, but like the on panel rape of Lobo is. 
pretty ungraphic. Like, mm-hmm. you pretty much kind of have to read the pages to realize. I mm-hmm. think if you're literally, and I think this is what happened to DC, I think if you're literally just looking at them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you'd be like, huh, ah, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's it's very shadowy. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a certain uh, amount of plausible deniability yeah. there. Uh, but say you're, say you're uh, a retailer and you notice this. Is it in your best interest to say something publicly? Right. Right. Because I, I, I kind of feel like the answer's no, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't want to draw attention to this shit. Right. Well, uh, so, I mean, it, it seems to me that I think, honestly, retailers could. And, I mean, Lord knows there seems to be a certain amount of, uh, uh, I don't know, like there's a... Like I picked up two issues. Image is certainly moving. It is more is in the realm of more and more adult material, and they are generally sticking to the idea that they do not have to to label any of it. Um, and hey, I, okay, define adult and define label here. Let, uh, let's let's because I you know I don't know what you're talking about because part of this is. I remember when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, and I was reading 2000 AD, which is not labeled at all. Yeah. Uh, and I saw nudity in 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Simon Bisley, when he was doing, I, mean, I, I might be misremembering whoever from 2000 AD is listening, definitely in a slain strip mm-hmm. at some point, or schlange at some point, um, there's this topless woman. just And it's not, I was going to say it's not gratuitous, which is untrue. She could easily be wearing clothes, but it's not sexualized. Yeah. It's literally just this woman rocking around with no top on. Right. Um, and I remember having this moment of like, this doesn't seem mature readers. Do you know what I mean? Like, can mm-hmm. they get away with this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I feel uh, like there's a difference between that and, uh, and a rape scene or or uh, penetrative sex being shown on panel. Yeah. Or, or language even. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between even showing a topless woman and and saying fuck in a comic. Yeah, yeah. No, I... I so, so, so what are you talking about when you're saying adult material here? Okay. Well, uh, a, a good example uh, was going... To, I was going to mention Bob Fingerman's minimum wage. Uh, so, Bob Fingerman's minimum wage, colon, so many bad decisions, issues three and four. Issue four, which is done in color, is a dream sequence... Uh, in which our main character ends up um, uh, traipsing through a sort of desolate landscape that that is sort of you know a few crazy cat jokes aside is is kind of a big tribute to Richard Corbin's um, heavy metal material without looking like Corbin in any way. So at, at a few points, Rob runs into his various ex-girlfriends who are entirely nude. And he makes a few comments about their, you know, uh, their big butts or maybe wanting to have sex with them, you know, but nothing, but you basically just see like, a topless woman in a loincloth and like, you know, actually they're all topless women in loincloths that pop up. So it's like, oh, okay. He's talking and he's talking about it in the context of having sex with them. Myself, personally, I'm like, that seems okay to me. Like, I'm kind of like looking at it. It doesn't necessarily seem like you're not going to mistake it for an issue of Archie. 
Issue 3, which is the issue before, which has a special guest appearance by TV's Mark Marin. Um <laughs> Is he TV's Mark Marin now? He he is on the he's, cover he's is on the cover of this comic. So Oh really? That's yeah, cuz for me he's always going to be that guy with the podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I think this is trying to trying to move a few more copies cuz it's like featuring special guest star TV's Mark Marin. And in it there is a there is an ex, there is a sex scene in which um you see, you know, Rob basically uh, on top of the woman that he is having um, kind of unhappy uh, hate sex with uh, right before they have their big breakup. Um, and and let me tell you, that I feel needs late, is what I mean when I'm like, yeah, there's more adult material here. This is, this, is a, this is a sex scene. And yet to me, it's still like that actually is a sex scene that's a lot more like, say, um, something you would see like in Judd Apatow's Knocked Up. Just to keep bringing up sex in Judd Apatow yeah, over and over for you, Graham. You're, you're in a Judd Apatow thing. Uh, okay, so let me – I was going to say burrow down into this and I feel like that's a terrible choice of words. It's chosen by, I shown by your snigger. Um, no, but let's really get into this. You're saying it's a sex scene. Uh, and then you, you likened it to an appetite movie. Uh, are you seeing nudity in this sex scene? Or are you just seeing like two people under sheets? No, you were seeing two nude people, one on top of the other. Um, you can't necessarily see, like, you see her butt, you can't necessarily see her breasts. He's on top of her, and the, and, and, you know. And of course, he's the one responsible, so you're not gonna see his dick. Yeah, well, which is where the humans is like, like, the humans seriously is like, holy shit, this is 70s underground comics level of explicit and unlabeled. But, you know, but like I'm saying, I'm like, okay, it's, it's presented in i mean it's just it's 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 there there's nudity sort of pops up at various points there's sexual situations the situations aren't shown especially graphically but they're the sort of situations that definitely would fetch someone an r rating you know and there is and there is no way that issue of the humans if it was in a movie that it would be released with it would it would have to be released un unrated because it is because it is quite on the full on dickon shown in relatively tight i don't know it's not like a super close up but you know tight medium shot of like oh that is there's the train going into the tunnel you know so I was just thinking also considering some of the other stuff with like you, you have stuff with Eric Larson and Savage Dragon, it sounds like, where sexual matters are being talked about very frankly. Sure, but I don't but know again, to what extent they're being shown. And again, like for me, mm-hmm. sexual matters being talked about frankly doesn't require labeling. You know, I, I think I would agree with you on that, yeah. I and to an extent and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where to draw this line, but like language to me doesn't really require labeling. Yeah, I'm. I'm also with you. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, when I and mentioned I'm not sure it, I really was. Really requires labeling either. You know, I I, I, I agree with you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I, that's a personal choice, and even as I said, it, I was like, I think there are many laws that would disagree with me, and yes. many retailers that would vehemently disagree with me on yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, for my, for myself, I'm kind of interestingly enough, after some of the other stuff going on with sex criminals and saga, 
uh, I just kind of feel like, yeah, image is skewing a little more sexual and I'm generally, uh, quite okay with that, frankly. Um, but I also feel that, for example, sex criminals is labeled on the, on the back of each issue, sometimes on the front, but at the very least, if you flip it over, it's like, this is for mature readers, duh. And I, which I I love. Yes. I really do. Yeah. I I do too. And I, I want to say that I thought Saga was labeled, but now I'm realizing it in fact is not. So. Yeah. Saga has had, uh, a lot of, I mean, it's had a lot of complaints. Yes. Right. Right, right, right. You know, and I... Is that not labeled at all? What's that? Is that not labeled at all? All I can say, I just looked at it just because I had the pile of stuff I read uh, um, recently. And Mm -hmm. issue 30 is not labeled in any way on the the outside of the book at all. Well, I I doubt that's a change for that one issue. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's kind of fascinating because for some reason I was convinced Saga was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm very. This is where the the liberal in me is like. But why should we label things, Jeff? And <laughs> that's like crossed with the pragmatist of me being like, because someone's going to get shut down. Well, see, I, and 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 for me, that where I'm like one step. I think I'm closer to the the libertine end of the spectrum, where I'm. I have read and even purchased comics specifically because of the nudity. Part of me is like, yeah, okay. Like, have it on the marketplace, Jets, but like, kiss. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. Will, will be the next the subject of the next podcast. Ex- exactly. Well, yeah, you and I have talked he, he about black it was kiss just on a, here. a fun sex comic, and then all of a sudden, there's vampires. That's right. Damn it. What was vampires, right? There was plot. Yes, there was. Oh god. Yeah, there's I honestly couldn't remember. I was like I like I know there's monsters, but I couldn't remember if it was vampires or not. If it was just like generic monsters. No, it was it was it was vampires. But but almost not generic. To, not I can to see do, why yeah, you're sorry. not confused. I I I get why you're confused because it is not especially <laughs> it's not an especially detailed take on vampires, uh, <laughs> at least in the first season. Nothing, nothing about Black Kiss was especially detailed. Yeah, yeah, I think that's Ap- that's not true. Apart from you learned a little bit too much about her chicken's fetishes. Yeah, I, right. Exactly. Exactly. Which, let's be honest, were not exactly something you wondered about from reading any other comic he'd ever made. But then he decided to really, really go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, you guys, like, no, 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 we already, we were... It's like, we, we knew. Yeah. We, it's it's we, good. It's we good. were down it's with good. about 80% of this was already on the list, Howard. It's okay. Yeah. It's we, we've read American Flag. We kind of knew all of this. <laughs> um, so I I just, uh, yeah. I, so, I, so I myself am very much a person of, like, all this stuff should be available on the marketplace. It should just also be labeled if for no other reason than that the people who can sell it can um, uh, stock it. Uh, I, I don't even want to say I'm not, I, I'm blocked because it's not, it, part of it's responsibly, but also just, you know, properly, you know? I, I mean, there's definitely situations like that comic book store in Texas that got busted just for having adult material you know, even though it had it in a separate section, in a section that was, you know, 
Um, you couldn't see anything from the rest of the store where it had signs on the front saying you weren't allowed past a certain age, and it was this, monitored. This is, yeah, this is know. funny because I was talking to my local store uh, the other day, mm-hmm. and they were telling me they used to have an adult section. Hmm. Um, and they had the like uh, saloon doors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like the the, the western saloon door mm-hmm. thing separating it. Yeah. And they were like, the problem with that is they don't go all the way down to the ground. So you'd have kids just wander in because <laughs> they'd wander under the doors. Yeah, they'd go under the doors. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they're like in that, like, and that was a problem in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Because they're not reading. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, you know, e- exploration. Yeah, exactly. Like how cool something I can walk under. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to your story, Jeff. I just had to tell you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, my story isn't really, you know, as is the course with many of my stories, is just basically sputtering about in circles. Well, I, I, it's, it's kind of image's thing, you know? Mm-hmm. The image does not step in. Mm-hmm. The image lets you do what you want. Uh, which is, which is great, but also can ultimately be problematic. And I think will become problematic the more images star rises. Uh, yeah, I think I think at a certain point, if they're going to want to continue to expand, they're going to have to come up with a situation where they consider labeling, which is I don't think you know is not impossible situation. It's really sure, but it's, but labeling is what one of the things that drove Moore from DC back then. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and yes. I, I think you're I think you're always going to have people who are going to feel that passionately about it. We'll see. You know, sure. See, I'm not, now I'm super curious. Now I'm like, wait, does like material and, and surface have have adult? Uh, have oh shoot! Do you want me to? Uh, I don't have it in this pile of stuff, but I could. I, yeah, that's why I'm like, oh shit! I've got, I'm seeing if I've actually got any of the the digital stuff on on my machine right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hold on, let me mute for a second, and I'll go grab it. Hold no, on wait, I've I've got it right in front of me. Okay, and the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, no, I tell a lie. Rated M for mature. See, there we go. Right? You know? And uh, I I, I think that's a good idea. I just really do. And I I don't think... I don't think that that is... um... I don't don't think that's censorship, which is what the the traditional cry is. Right. That, that, you know, you can't have this sort of thing which you're you're covering censorship. I think it's, at this point, responsible, as sad as that is. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so too. Well, cause I, cause I do think that frankly, there's, there's stuff where, um, you know, that issue of the humans, I enjoy a lot. If I had picked it up, if it was out and I picked it up as like a 10 or 11 year old kid, it would have fucked up my Kool-Aid, you know, as it is some of the issues of heavy metal that I picked up kind of did a number on my head, but I was also pretty well aware that a, um, they were I was sneaking a peek. They were labeled mature and Well and also and maybe I'm saying far too much about like ten year old, eleven year old me, but is that not the age where you are looking at stuff where you're not supposed to look at? Sure. Kind of in order to fuck your head up? Uh yeah. Well and I guess that's what I'm saying is is to me that becomes part of that that it's a good faith contract at that point. You know what I mean? Like for me, it it did my head in, but that, but but it is that thing of like fair, to, yeah, you, fair you, play. You looked it out to do for exactly. that for it to do that very thing. Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't like a situation where I picked up, you know, a copy of Lobo, 
<laughs> and was like, "No, oh my God, what's happening to Lobo?" What I'm I'm kind of fascinated about um, in terms of of this sort of thing is also like from what you're saying about the the humans. Mm-hmm. Say you are that ten or eleven year old kid. Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to get engaged in anything else in that comic besides that? Because I've because I've read the Lobo comic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say it's dull, but it's dull, right? <laughs> and, and this is terrible. The rape is dull. Mm-hmm. Like the rape doesn't even feel sensationalistic, and it should because there's absolutely no fucking reason for it to be there. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a Claremont trope gone wild, literally. The rape is there to prove that Lobo is powerless against the villainess. Mm. You know? Like, so it, it's, it's literally Claremont. But there's, like, there's nothing else particularly interesting or stand out about the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it was your mention of heavy metal that sort of made me think this, because I remember when I was a kid reading heavy metal comics and just getting nothing out of it. Yeah. I mean, being like, okay, there's new to see, but seriously, I'm bored of shit. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. You are bored. And, like, for the humans, I mean, I can say that that is, it's, it's a sex scene that is between two, uh, adults. It's consensual. You actually, it's sort of, it's at the end of the issue after you've seen them interact and act, um, you know, since they're people who, the, two people who were in love with each other previously who are re-meeting after a period of time, you see them treat one another with affection and respect. It's just literally there's a penis going into a vagina and right next to it is someone's head exploding as it gets hit with a shotgun. And part of me is like, yeah, that's, um, that's as someone who that's a little extreme you know i'm and and part of me is you're right there's, there's what's great is like you're explaining it and i'm honestly like that just sounds terrible yeah of course not of course graham because you're like it's not your kind of cup of tea like, no no, no totally but not even yeah. that like it just sounds like the most hilariously unsubtle you know it sounds like my 12 year old would do to be like i'm making a point you see i'm making a point it could be could be i mean uh a lot – the book really does um, – it's it, – it, 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 again, it's like a 70s trash exploitation movie. It's, it's a little bit of – it revels in its bad behavior, but there's also a little bit – since it is a pastiche, it's like we are – you know, we are recreating – what was there and we're, we're going to the farthest limit of it. You know, yeah. so we're recreating ones there, and we're going like we are going for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's yeah, we are recreating the shit out of it. Yeah, and and there is a core of the one of the things I appreciate is is that I feel that for there's a certain stripe of '70s exploitation film and '60s exploitation film, and especially some of the stuff that was coming out of Italy that was being imported over here. You know, that is just where that level of transgression and the level of nihilism go hand in hand with each other. You know, mm-hmm. that it, 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 the concept of the, the, you know, it's almost, it's almost, um, sadian. The idea that the level of exhaustion and the level of, um, of nihilism like meet it, it meets at that at that nexus. It's it's that endpoint that they're precisely trying to recreate, and they're trying to recreate it in a way that that is, 
you know, that, that it, it has a level of conviction when you bring it to that point. It no longer seems quite so coy or twee when you really push it to the level of like, oh yeah, here's everyone that you supposedly have been, you know, uh, learning to care about over the last five issues, just get brutally, brutally, brutally gunned down, you know, while you're having, I don't want to say necessarily your nose rubbed in your, some voyeurism, but one of the things that I really loved about the humans up to now is just what a, what a nasty little piece of work that it's been. It's really been a very grindhousey t- type experience. It somehow is also very much keyed into the fact that everyone here are, are apes means that we can really accelerate it. And, and in a way, a little bit of the nihilism that I talked about at the core of planet of the apes really does sort of match its find sure, its match. Sure, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, it's of a thematic piece. So it works in a very odd way. Um, and, and so I'm down with that. I really was, I was like, yeah, this is fine, <laughs> you know, but except I also had that feeling of like, Jesus, jump in Christ. I would not want anyone to come by this kind of accidentally, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Es- especially not a kid or a parent. Um, so, yeah. Well, here's hoping no one picks it up, Jeff. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's the other thing. I don't want it to be that. And and it makes me wonder the extent to which these guys are already like, well, we're committed to doing this run. It's not selling what we thought. We're just going to we're just going to fucking go for it and put everything in there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh okay, shifting gears yes. entirely. Please. Uh Transformers versus GI Joe. Oh shit! Number eight. I haven't read it. Oh, did you catch up? What? Tell me. I oh, here's the thing. I can't catch up because my sword didn't have five or six. So I I've gone literally from number four to number seven and eight. Wow. Um, but if you read number seven and eight back to back, mm-hmm. uh, because you of course remember number seven is the traditional everything you know is wrong story. Yes. Um, that's a mindfuck of a book because eight obviously after what happens in issue seven is back in the quote-unquote core continuity. But the the logic of the series, which is the illogic of the series, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just mind-bending reading those two issues. <laughs> it's insane. I'm so um, glad you picked those up, because I, I haven't read issue, eight, but I adored eight, seven. Jeff. Mm-hmm. Just, just wait. <laughs> um, uh, Tom Zioli and, and John Barber ramp up their... They're, they're everything wow. in issue eight, uh, and have a genuinely apocalyptic finale, mm-hmm. both emotionally mm-hmm. and literally in terms of plot. Like, th- th- there is a thing that happens that is kind of undersold despite the amazing melodrama surrounding it. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh shit. Wow. Like, when you realize what's happened, you're like, oh, that's, you know, if this was any other comic where they were going to deal with that rationally, mm-hmm. like the aftermath rationally, that is like that's a game changer of a that's what you do at the start of a series and that's the status quo of your series moving forward. Right. Um, like wow. it's that scale. Uh-huh. And it's done in the background of something else that's happening. Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, but, but issue seven is you talked about this last time. Uh the everything you know is wrong episode. The the Scarlet is being told that there's no such thing as GI Joe. There's no such thing as Transformers. They're both toys created by Hasbro, um, and and of course that turns out not to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you have the a very deliberate invocation of um, reality versus play with mm-hmm. the added element of you're actually dealing with toys mm-hmm. and you actually like you see her hold, like rather you see her kids hold up the G.I. Joe action figures mm-hmm. um, and it's just oh, we've talked about this with, with Fantastic Four a lot I don't know how much of this is solely like channeling the subconscious and how much of it is deliberate because there's so much fucking depth here mm-hmm mm-hmm do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much there, especially when he gets into spoilers, everyone. But I'm behind, so you guys are also behind. Um, Scarlet facing off against Scarlet, but the one who looks like Scarlet is the fake. So you have the genuine Scarlet who no longer resembles Scarlet, uh, emotionally or physically, facing off against the Scarlet that the, the fans know. Right, uh, and it's done in a very Frank Miller style. Yes, the Miller. Miller channeled through Steely's Kirby. Yeah. Which is also channeled through, you know, uh, underground comics and, and, and outsider art by the way he approaches it. Right, which means... So you, have this, like, you have this multiple level of, of, of influence and of even snake eating its own tail because Miller was getting influenced by that stuff in its, in his own way. Well, but see, the thing, also the thing that's great is to me, you take Kirby, Miller... And underground comics, and that was distilled. That what that's you've got the first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at that point, which the stuff also then resembles, which then also becomes a series of toys. You know, so so yeah, no, I agree. It's almost and, a, and it's just and it's amazing. And, yeah. and this and and issue eight as well, mm-hmm. um, where he chooses, where Sioli chooses to put the title pages, mm. uh, it's fascinating. Uh, because in issue seven, the title G.I. Uh, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe appears during that fight, which isn't like the third last page of the comic. <laughs> and the title of the story is the last page of the comic yeah. in an image that is pretty much disconnected from everything that came before it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, it's such a good issue. I'm like, oh, I've got to dig that one up again. And it's like, oh, I've got to, now I've got to read eight. Uh, yeah, no, I love that issue. I really thought that that was extraordinary. Yeah, so. it's it's an issue issue eight's coming after it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's it. I holy moly! I had it in my stack to read, and I chose a variety of other stuff for other reasons. But part of it was kind of, uh, yeah, and I'm not sure my brain's ready for it. I kind of want to put it aside so that I can read it when I'm not trying to also read, you know, un- literally another like 26 comics at the same yeah. time. I, I told you before that that's how I'm reading the Alishcott stuff now, right? Yeah, you like, did. I have to read it separately from everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because it's just, it, my brain can't do it. My brain cannot do it. Uh, and so I sat down, actually in the plane back from San Diego when I was feeling disconnected from reality anyway, mm-hmm. and, uh, and finished off Zero. Which, have, are you, have you finished Zero yet? Uh, I, is the last, when did the last issue come out? Uh, it must have been, I think it was actually San Diego week. So like a month ago. Oh, oh God. I don't know. I must, I think I had one more issue to go. I think I was at the, I was at the penultimate issue, which is like issue 17 or something like that. Yeah. Issue 18 is the last issue. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think I've got to hunt that up. Shit. Okay. Um, 
but that and then I read Material and Wolf and right. so like I just did like a, a time for me to do a deep dive into Alish God stuff right. and it all plays very well of itself if that makes sense like you can go from surface to material to zero to wolf and that doesn't bleed in or rather bleeds in in ways that are entirely complementary as opposed to you know good luck doing you know surface and then i'm trying to think of anything randomly fucking micronauts do you know what i mean like right actually right. some micronauts might be fast yeah it would be awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah but I, I had the same thing where I, it was like and i think i'm gonna have this for transformers j joe because i read that like in the middle of of a bunch of stuff yesterday and had this like disconnect moment we were like okay i might have to read this in isolation because i don't think i'm dealing well with it that's not true i don't think i'm dealing well with everything i'm reading afterwards like i think it's wrecking everything i'm reading afterwards mm-hmm. which is what was happening with the cod stuff yeah and i think it happened with transformers versus gi joe especially because after transformers versus gi joe i read a bunch of back issues of marvel age magazine <laughs> Good lord, Graham. That's Jesus. uh, So the story behind that is, uh, so I went to my local store yesterday and picked up stuff, and they didn't have back issues of Transformers G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. And they also, for some reason, don't have a particular issue of Letter 44, the Oni series. Hmm. Um, And it's on my pull list, and for some reason, I don't have issue 17. They were like, we've got 15, 16, and 18, but we don't have 17. I was like, this is super weird, but sure. There's another store that's just opened up in my neighborhood. I'm going to go there. I've never been before. But maybe huh. they'll have it, I thought. So I went to the store, and this store is literally only back issues. Oh, wow. Really? Right? And just random back issues, Jeff. Mm. Like, not even like, we specialize in Silver Age. No. Like, we specialize in old random comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they have a, they had a big bin of dollar comics. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, get 12 for $10. Get 25 for $20 type thing right and they had like masses of issues of marvel age <laughs> and i love marvel age i really do marvel age is um marvel age is like marvel.com 30 years ago mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it, it's that level of obsessive navel gazing oh I, I, i've got more than a few issues in my, my yeah comic so, book it's, so it's yeah. amazing right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i wasn't gonna buy them and then i saw that they had issue 35 which is the day in the life of marvel comics issue wow have you read that i don't think i have it's literally literally they had 12 reporters in the, the bullpen and they do an hour by hour what is happening in the office wow and it's an entire issue jeff wow and That's i saw that awesome. i was like oh fuck well i'm getting that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, i remember reading that before and i loved it and then I saw that they had the, the initial announcement of X Factor mm-hmm. when they weren't announcing it was Jean Grey and it was all the different costumes that never appeared in the series. Wow. And I was like, okay, I'm getting that as well. And then I was like, oh, okay. And they've got, you know, they've got this one. They've got, you know, they've got uh, Bill Mantlo talking about ROM when Steve Dicko started drawing it. Oh my God. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, like they're a dollar. I'm going to get a bunch of these. So I got a bunch of them and they are all, all exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that's but I did that after Transformers Two, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> well, I think in a way that's kind of a great sort of step back. You know what I mean? Because it's not your Lord no like the the narratives that Marvel Age are asking you to uh, uh, um, engage in or buy into. You're already a step removed from them anyway. So it, well, it, that, that's like what it makes, makes it easier. wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's so great. It's, it's so great to read these and see all the series that didn't come off. Yeah, 
Like, so I'm reading Mantlo and Claremont talking about X-Men Micronauts. Mm-hmm. And the, it ends with, and the two are also going to co-write a Magneto series, which is already being written. Wow. Right. And I was like, the scripts for that actually exist? Are you not bullshitting me? Are there Mantlo <laughs> Claremont scripts for Magneto? <laughs> I want to read that comic. Yeah, no shit, right? No? Yeah. In fact, hang on, I'm going to have to find the, the Mantlo stuff because it talks about how they co-write X-Men Micronauts and it blew my fucking mind. Um, I have to say, they did a good yeah. job with that. I remember X-Men Micronauts was um, – that was that – was, I remember as a kid feeling like this is a brutal piece of work, you know? So um, Okay, so, so here's what it says uh, in a story by Sandy Hausler. Chris and Bill sat down and started talking into a tape recorder. They ran through many ideas and concepts until they felt they had gotten into the good stuff, real original thinking. Out of this tape recording came a number of new and unique ideas. From these issues came a plot. In the first issue, Bill plotted the first 11 and a half pages and sent it to Chris, who made corrections. Then Chris plotted the last 11 and a half pages and sent it back to Bill, who made corrections in that part. Then the whole thing was sent to Bob Budiansky, the editor of the limited series, for his creative input. The second issue wasn't as linear. Bill plotted the whole issue with Chris putting in motivation for the X-Men. Then it was Bob's turn. When the plot was approved, they got down to scripting. The scripting was done in a unique new way. We lock ourselves into a room, chuckled Bill, and throw balloons at each other. <laughs> Isn't that great? Like, oh just imagine God. Bill Bodlow and Chris Claremont in, what was this, 1983? Yeah, uh, 1983. Yeah, 83. Closing themselves in a room together to script <sighs> X-Men Micronauts together. Good God! Right, like that—that's—that shit's great. I love it. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm now I'm now looking for through the uh, the day in the life of Marvel comics issue, and it's it's so fucking weird. At nine forty, oh, yeah. Howard Mackey arrives carrying a bagel and tea. At the same time, Dwight Zimmerman invades the pot's office to interrogate Rosemary for coming attractions information, and an intern delivers Kenny Fedunkowitz's colouring for an issue of Captain America to Mike Carlin. Mike is baffled by an effect on page one, but figures Kenny knows what he's doing. Before he goes over the colouring in detail, he gives an intern the art to the She-Hulk graphic novel with instructions to make 20 photocopies of it. It's an issue of that, Jeff. Wow. Right? Yeah. I, I can't tell you how much... If I had, if I was not working today, I would have just transcribed all of that onto the Tumblr. <laughs> you know, it is it is one of those things that I find really fascinating because I wasn't aware of it at the time, but um, you know, Shooter's Reign really is about a refocusing of Marvel on the editors. Of making the case that that the editors and it makes sense because the editors are what comprises the bullpen sure. and the bullpen well, just, was it, what we were raised. Rain, it's very very strongly uh, self mythologizing Marvel mm-hmm. and Marvel Age is all about that. Like you don't do an entire issue of a comic where you literally are like you know so and so came in with a bagel and coffee and gave photocopies to an intern. If you're not like Hey, you guys, we're wacky as shit. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? And Shooter really was. He was like, let's put bullpen, bullpen, bulletins back together. Yeah. Let's, let's make it, let's rebuild the idea that Marvel is a gang of wacky guys making comics for people just like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Well, 
how do I put it? Like the whack, the wackiness comes and goes for me. I could be wrong, but I remember looking at more than my fair share when, of the bullpen bulletins while we were doing um, our Avengers read through and and having those issues via GIT. It was like looking through some of that stuff and being like, because Shooter definitely is like, oh, I'm you know I'm going to be quirky i'm gonna have a sense of humor like we're gonna talk about you know sort of like how we manage to like find time to all go surfing and it's it's honestly to me a lot of it is is i was gonna say it's the the opposite it's it's not that they're wacky guys it's that they're all regular joes that shooters obsession no but 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 regular joes like I agree and I disagree because I think it's reg- it's a very particular flavor of regular Joe. Mm-hmm. It's regular Joe like you, the reader. Yes, exactly. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Um, it, like you, the reader, but also kind of like people at large. So there's a lot of like shooter will never pass up an opportunity to mention any form of athletics that he and the bullpen engage in. It's like, oh, we went out. We had time to try skiing. Like we're at San Diego Convention. And of course, we went to the beach and tried surfing. You know, we're playing beach volleyball. And and, and the questionnaires for each member of the editor's team in terms of like what books do you like what movies do you read like what's your favorite albums you know it's like it's it's like a very super bland tiger beat questionnaire and god help me for sort of the same reasons like you're supposed to be like oh gosh i really know what mike carlin's like now because i know that exactly exactly i feel like i've just had a conversation with him yeah exactly and it's always fascinating and I sense that you do the same thing as me, which is when you get back issues or when you're going through these GIT core uh, DVDs, mm-hmm. you like you pay attention to these things, mm-hmm. and you can always see the ones who aren't playing. Yeah, the right. guys who are filling it in because it's their job, but they are not playing along, mm-hmm. and I love it. I love those ones. Those are interesting. I I only like, came no, across the last good books. book I read was dot dot dot, and yes. people were like a good book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the thing that's... Yeah, when I'm not paying attention, people, I like to, why would I tell you? Like, things like that. Yeah. There, well, there are those, but then the amazing thing is, is because we because we were reading Avengers, um, Mark Grunwald started putting those in his letter pages, where he would ask everyone, he'd have one question, and it would be for everybody in the creative team for the issue. Um, and there's a point where clearly Jim Shooter is tired of playing. Which is hilarious considering how much he started the ball rolling over in bullpen bulletins. So it was that classic, like for nine months running, it was like, what's your favorite book? And his, his thing was always, does anyone really have a favorite book? Does anyone really have a favorite actor? You know, the person I love. Stop fucking asking me, you guys. Out of all of those was, is it Christy Scheel? Um, the colorist? The colorist? Yeah. All of her answers are gold are gold because she is clearly like like she's doing the coloring but she's also deeply deeply interested in modern art like she went to university she's traveled to europe so it's like the stuff that's coming out of her mouth and it and is amazing because it's very some sometimes it's a little pretentious sometimes it's literally like she doesn't know how strange she comes off compared to everyone else because, you know, because it really is the what's your favorite author type of thing. And she's the only one who picks Dostoevsky. You know what I mean? Like, 
everyone else is like, even when they're throwing in something else, it's like clearly kind of a joke thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, they're like, Oh, my, my favorite book is gravity's rainbow and how to color gravity's rainbow. Blah, ha, 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 kind of thing, you know? And she really is, is like, I love the tin drum by Gunter Grass, you know? And I'm like, God bless you, Christy <laughs> Scheel. You know, exactly. you don't get the joke and we love you all the more for it. Or, I mean, I think she's just being candid, but yeah, apart from the fact that you suspect she has no sense of humor, I'm like, Get her writing a Marvel book for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know? uh, other things, other things that are great about Marvel Age is uh, they have new talents department in a number of issues, which is people trying to break into the industry. Uh, Tom Lyle is in there, who wow. later went on to do a bunch of stuff for DC. Tim mm-hmm. Sale is in there as an wow. inker, and they don't like his inks, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> uh, and in issue fifty nine, which is all about the new new universe, Jeff, because how can I pass up a chance? Of to course. see uh, Mark Grumholtz and Howard Mackey talk about why the new universe had failed and why the new new universe was going to be a hit. Um, the last page has the Marvel Age Pen Pals Club. Every month, the Pen Pal Club section lists the names and addresses of Marvelites who want to correspond with their counterparts across the country and around the world. Oh, and who's in there? Valerie Durazio is in there. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yes. She must right? have been like, wow. That's I think a- actually says her age. Does yeah, it? she's 13. Yeah, oh, 13. And man. that was in 1988. So there you go. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's what I'm saying. It's a slice of history. It's a slice of weird fucked up comics. I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I, you and I are just kind of crazy minutia-wise. Although I have to say, I've never... That sort of stuff, particularly the Marvel Age stuff, like that always goes over so much better for me than like... God bless. I know I should have supported this stuff, but I don't think I ever bought a single issue of like DC's like new talent showcase. And bless them, they oh, ran that thing. Oh, whole run of that. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine my surprise, Graham. Imagine my surprise. Hold on. You know what else they had a whole run of? And I almost got, but that's not true. A whole run, but one. And that's the reason I didn't get it. So it's like, I know I'm never going to get this missing issue and it will annoy me. Uh-huh. Uh, Rachel Pollock's Doom Patrol. Oh boy! Wow, really? Because I remember reading that at the time for like three issues and being like, "This is terrible." Yes, and I honestly feel that it was just because I was whatever age I was, like fourteen, fifteen. It could be. I, I, I want to say that it was better than I remember is what I'm saying. Uh, it, well, which is, uh, I'm kind of like, how hard could that be, really? Though you know, like. <laughs> Like, as someone who got maybe three or four issues into it, or two or three, it was kind of like, let's face it, there. It, it, on the one hand, I sort of appreciated how much she was like, I'm going to continue, like, kind of like, I'm going to continue to follow in the Morrisonian tradition, and yet, it really is one of those things that's better served by by pivoting. You know, like I remember being so impressed with Peter Milligan when he came in on Animal Man after Morrison left. I I was just like, I'm not doing the same thing at all. Yeah, exactly. He took it to use it for a real off guard, you know, kept you off balance, very clever in the way that Milligan was back in his In many ways, I think that was the downfall of Swamp Thing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the person following Moore, which was Veach, right? It was Veach. Should have just been like, nope, doing, doing my own thing. You know, the thing that's actually interesting about that is... 
And Veach, Veach kind of did his own thing, but not enough, I guess. Oh, oh, see, this is pretty funny because I think if Hibbs was here, like Hibbs and I are both, we're both pretty big fans of Veach's Swamp Thing. Like he kept okay, that I gonna, going. I thought you were going to say Veach in general and I was going to be like, Jeff, brought back. Oh, yeah. You know, honestly, I'm not a big fan. I, I would say that I'm sort of a fan of each in general. I, I thought Brat Pack was, I mean, you know, kind of. Is that you, like, th- taking your headphones off and throwing them across? The yeah, exactly. I'm leaving. I was, I was like, <laughs> this interview is over. Good day, sir. Uh, no. I, You're Brad, a lot of Brat Pack. Yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm not a – I can understand sort of the place where it comes from. But actually, I'm a huge fan of his uh, dream – his rare bit fiends uh, oh, dream comic. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm glad someone is yeah. actually the must have been because that went on for a long time. It did. It went on like something like 36 yeah. issues. So yeah. I mean, he was selling so, enough for. But it was terrible. Well, or he was operating because he's always been, I think, pretty good at you know operating uh, on a low enough budget that he, he was. Exactly. Yeah, because my understanding is that that he and Bissett, like a bunch of those guys, took their 1963 money and set up publishing houses, you know. And Veach was able to to run that for for a significant chunk of time. Anyway, I at some point you and I will have to talk about his collected volume three of Rare Bit Fiends because it is it's dream comics that is entirely about uh, the collapse of the comics industry and is therefore just I find fascinating, like utterly different from the Jim Woodring dream comic stuff that I love. Anyway, Veach on Swamp Thing on the one hand was very much like bad watered down more. On the other hand, for the, the degree of formalistic storytelling chops, like he wasn't able to carry through on the characterization stuff, but considering how much of how closely he'd worked with more and how much of a formalistic storyteller Veach is in his own right. I actually think those issues are surprisingly strong and readable. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe you need to revisit the Rachel Pollock uh, Doom Patrols and I need yeah, to Yeah, I, I, I might do. Veach like, if, if I can get the whole bunch for, like, $20, then, you know, it's kind of tempting. Because mm-hmm. Tim McKeever takes over our halfway through. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's Kyle, Kyle Baker covers and Tim McKeever interiors. Uh, Tim McKeever or Sean McKeever? Tim McKeever. Oh. Uh, Ted McKeever is what. Ted McKeever, thanks. Sorry. I mean Ted McKeever. I'm yes. Ted, yeah. I knew Ted it was McKeever. wrong, but I screwed it up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ted McKeever. Sean McKeever is the, the Marvel writer who did yes. like Sentinel and, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I'll go back to that weird, weird back issue store. Um, and it was just super weird because I was like, it's a because co- a neighborhood said, because it's in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. a neighborhood said, there's a comic store. Have you been? And I was like, no. And they're always closed on Sundays mm-hmm. for some reason, which is always the days like I am more likely to be able to go somewhere. Right. So it just never worked out. And then I went in and I was floored that it was only a back issue store to begin with. Wow. And then that it was such a random collection of back issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really sounds like I'm like, one of those it's, situations. It's one where, of those like hole in the walls that yeah. you think didn't exist anymore. Wow! 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 Which means when you're in town, Jeff. Exactly. We're going. <laughs> we are going. I'm going to hit that thing so hard I bounce. Um, Talking about other things. Moving mm-hmm. on. Yes. Uh, Arc Light issues one and two. Sorry, eight house 
Cool oh, arc lights. Shit, I wish we'd coordinated because I had those issues stacked up, and again, they were the issues that I didn't read as opposed oh, to the issues that I did. Jeff. Yeah. Okay, well, let's do it another time then. Okay. Because they were... They were really interesting. They look interesting as hell. It was it was one of those things where it's like I had those and I tore this house upside down because I had Omega I've read Omega Man one, I knew I had Omega Man two, and I bought Omega Man three. And then I couldn't find issue oh. two and I what's turned you, the place upside think? down. I haven't didn't read them. Didn't read it. <laughs> I found Omega Man. I found Omega Man literally like half an hour before we were supposed to start podcasting. I read three pages into two and I'm like, there's no way I'm actually going to read this and be able to what's, get everything else. What did you think done. of one? I was Cautious about it. I was cool. I was, I was very, I was, I was intrigued by, for part, the more that I've gone back and reread it, the more that I think that a, it, that it's such a, it's, it's in my wheelhouse because it's very, to me, very formalist and very Alan Moore derived, the first issue, I thought. Um, and yet, also, by the same token, it I didn't really feel like I had a strong entry into it until I read it maybe the second or the third time, you know? Really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm so. super curious what you'll make of issue two and issue three. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. Cause... Um, because it goes – it does not go where you think – issue two definitely doesn't go where you think you're going after issue one. Mm-hmm. And then issue three kind of course corrects. Mm-hmm. Um. But in such a way that you're still left going, I'm on board. Um, it reminds me, because actually this week I also caught up finally with a bunch of Valiant stuff. Mm-hmm. And Omega Man in many ways reminds me of Imperium, mm-hmm. the, the spin-off of Harbinger, which is, which is just the bad guys now. It's the bad guy book. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, so you, you clearly are not keeping up with things, Jeff. I am. Um, not. did you read any of Harbinger? I read the first, four or five issues and liked them and was like, oh, geez, I really have to follow up on it because those were the ones that seemed like it was heading in a very... Uh, uh, it seemed it seemed very Akira-inflected, you know? So can I spoil it for you? Sure, yeah, I, please. By issue 25 of Harbinger, mm-hmm. um, one of the, the good guys is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the team disbands and Peter leaves Earth to live in a drug-induced stupor. Wow. Leaving uh, Harada in charge. Mm-hmm. And he literally declares war on the rest of the world <laughs> and annexes an African country and says, this is my country now wow. and I'm going to create Utopia. And Imperium is about that. Mm-hmm. Imperium is what he does after he is annexed an African country. And declared himself the enemy of the the Western world, hmm. um, and and its its central characters are Harada mm-hmm. and the people who work with him. And it cheats by starting the first issue in the future and going, "He was right." <laughs> like he created Utopia. It was horrible, but he created Utopia. Huh. Um, and then flashes back, and you mm-hmm. see him basically struggle with a lot of other valiant concepts, like the hardcore show up in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see a lot of sites, you see a lot of uh, one of his 
his uh, team is one of the aliens from Exo Manowar. Mm-hmm. Um, but once it flashes back and once it's in the current day, it's very happy to be like, no, Harada's a dick. He's a manipulative, evil, egotistical bastard. Hmm. And he will use everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are against him think that they're the good guys as well, but they're not. <laughs> they're also dicks and they're also using people and they're also doing incredibly morally dubious things. So you're left with this very morally grey book. Mm-hmm. Which starts with this thing in the future where it's like, no, he created Utopia. But if you're reading other Valiant comics, you know that that Utopia goes to shit because huh. Ray takes place further in the future. Wow. I know that everything went to shit before it turned into where it is. Hmm. So your life with this really weirdly complex thing, which, in the, and this is uh, a, a plus of the shared universe, mm-hmm. which only gets more complex if you take the other books into account. Right. That sounds pretty great, I gotta say. Uh, and so you also have, right now they're doing their, their new crossover event, the Book of, I think it's Book of Death or Book of the Dead, mm-hmm. um, which is based on the idea that a character has come back from the future and they have a book that explains what happens to everyone. Hmm. Um, and the book then, like, there's lots of spin-offs, which is this is what happens to Bloodshot, this is what happens to Exo Man of War, blah, blah, blah. Um and the Bloodshot one in particular is, again, weirdly uplifting and yet utterly bleak. Wow. Oh. Because it's literally, guess what? Everything's going to go to shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And eventually we'll pull ourselves out, but we'll pull ourselves out in the worst way possible, and we'll create a horribly uneven society, and then Bloodshot will die. The end. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're let, like they're building this weird mythology forward and backwards at the same time. Yeah, that's kind of auda- audacious, and 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 it makes it almost how do I put it? It just seems like of uh, it's the sort of thing that that I feel like comic universes have to do once they're established um, or should do. But it sounds like they're doing it really well. So. They're doing it really interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it appeals to me, but it is also, I can totally see that this would not appeal to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's the, for want of a better way of putting it, the mainline stuff, like the Book of Death stuff, uh, when they did the Valiant series, Bloodshot, um, Imperium, are very much of a tone. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you like your superhero comics to be lighter, and generally I do, Right, I was then, about to see, say, but, this sounds can, way this, more up my yeah, alley in why, that sense. why this stuff would not appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you also have books like Time Walker, which is much lighter and feels very separated. Hmm. You know, you had Archer and Armstrong, and yeah. now essentially that's turned into Time Walker. It's the same creative theme. Hmm. Um, and, and Archer's even in this... No, sorry, Armstrong's even in the current uh, storyline. Hmm. Um, but it just feels very separate. You know, even as he goes into the future of Ray, you're like, I'm be sure. You know, I don't really believe, like, you, you know, I don't believe your version of Earth is going to completely fuck up the same way that, you know, Imperium's version of Earth is going to fuck up. Mm. Uh, and so it, it's, you know, you have that disconnect. Like, Quantum of Woody, as far as I'm concerned, is taking place in a different universe, even though I know it's not. <laughs> but Quantum Woody just does not make sense to me in line with the other characters. Interesting. Um but but overall, I think they're doing well. Uh, getting back to Alex Scott, he's doing a miniseries right now called Dead Drop, which is like very, very caught. 
Like, mm-hmm. you couldn't read it and be like, oh, it's someone else. Like, there's enough lines of dialogue and weirdness that, that it is, it feels like him. But also fits very much into the, what Valiance is trying to build is the Valiance tone. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's, they remain an utterly fascinating publishing company. Yeah, I'll say. I'll say. Um, I feel like they're, they're definitely doing it, doing all this stuff right mm-hmm. in terms of like, when you decide that the line is the thing mm-hmm. and, you know, we're building the universe, I think they're doing it right. I think if you, if you want to do a, you know, it's never going to be image, for example. It's never going to be about standalone books. It's always going to be books that serve the universe. But they've done that while still having individual books that are still interesting. Yeah, that's that sounds. I gotta say, that sounds pretty. It, I, you know, it's funny. It's, I'm like, I'm gonna have to load up all those books because I, you know, they had like a a humble bundle that was pretty much like. Get everything that we've put out in the first two years for you know not much. So so I've got a ridiculously I've got a ridiculous amount of that stuff stockpiled. Um, I don't think up until this I think it ends falls a little short of a lot of this phase two stuff that's been breaking out. But um, yeah, I'll be surprised if they don't go past. Yeah, I'll be surprised if they stay go past like the second year of publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, and right now they're on the. Heading into the fourth, I think. Wow. Exoman Exo Man of War is the first title. Let's see what issue, issue number that's on. So mm-hmm. in issue 38. Wow. Okay. So yeah. It's, they just yeah, passed issue three. three. So, I mean, year, year three. three. Yeah. 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 Huh. So. Uh, and what's also interesting is like they, they are happy to just end titles. Like Harbinger ending was, was a surprise to me. Right now, the uh, Exo is at 38, is 38. And then the next highest number is Unity, which is at 21. Wow. And then after that, the next highest is Ray issue nine. So they're, they're happy to cycle through things a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. Clearly. That's great. I, I you know, it's so funny. Part of me is like, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of like, oh, that we should really talk about comics news, but I don't necessarily think that we should. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> what, oh, what comics news is there? Well, honestly, the, um, I feel that because you and I have not, um, because we didn't record last week, it's pretty much old news, but the Axel Alonso, um. <laughs> the, the Marvel meltdown? Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The PR, the PR meltdown that was, that included the straight washing of Hercules, among other things. There, um, here's, okay, here's the thing about all of this. And um, do you mind providing a bit of context in case there are people listening who are just like, oh, so. Marvel has, uh, since relaunching, uh, or since announcing all new, all different Marvel, mm-hmm. um, they have, as they have done for the last few relaunches, actually, talked about the diversity and how there's Marvel comic for everyone and how everyone's going to be represented. Yes. Uh, as part of all new Marvel's, all new, all different Marvel's launch, Every first issue is going to have a hip hop variant cover, a cover uh, which recreates the cover of a famous hip hop album. Man, you are going back on this whole good. Okay, this is great. Well, yes. I, I, I'm giving no, the no, no, no. That's worth it. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
initially there was a lot of feedback uh, pushback against this idea for two reasons one it is stolen from uh, a couple of artists who were doing that online and have been doing it for a while yeah. with absolutely no credit was given because it's marvel they don't give credit they don't have to yeah. um but also there was uh, a, a lot of shall we say concern about um the fact that marvel does not have African-American creators for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely not in their regular books and mm-hmm. definitely not as, as regularly employed creators, uh, artists, writers. They actually have no African-American writers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone asked, Tom Brevoort and his Tumblr, isn't this kind of weird? And he said something along the lines of, I fail to see a connection between hip-hop covers and employing African-American creators. Yeah. Which was which was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, worse was then Axel Alonso tried to make good um, basically by being like, hey, you guys, we're relaunching Black Panther. What's your problem? Um, which was horribly tone deaf. And also particularly bad because we're relaunching Black Panther, he said. And then, like, we're now two weeks after he said that. And there's been no news about it. Yeah. Which makes it sound particularly uh, distracting. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, he literally said it to shut people up, mm-hmm. as opposed to meaning it. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, one of the books that was announced after he said Black Panther was Hercules. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hercules and uh, sorry, Dan Abnett and Luke Ross are relaunching Hercules. Hercules is strongly alluded to be bisexual in the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. shall we say? Um, there was a scene in Hercules: Fall of an Avenger, which I think was in 2010. Uh, written by Fred Van Lente and Greg Pak, where it is uh, it is alluded to in such a way that it's there if you want to look at it, but also easy to dis- to discard if you want to ignore it. Right. That Hercules slept with North Star. Right. Yeah. Um, this is of particular importance because right now Marvel has announced fifty one of its sixty uh, all new all different Marvel titles, and there are no. LGBTQ leads. None. Zero. Wow. The one that is held up is Angela, mm-hmm. who is subtextually queer. But <laughs> Angela? <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, really. Um, because it, and it really is subtextual. Angela's quote-unquote friend, Sarah, uh, is, if you, again, if you want to have this reading, she is in love with her. Oh my god. If you choose not to have that reading, she's not. And I just love the idea that, that Marvel is, I'm sorry, as you know, it's like the one character that they've got is the purchase character. You know what I mean? Like, is the character sure. that they bought, uh, that they bought literally from like Neil Gaiman, who was like, mm, you know, yeah. and they're like, well, of yeah, course. But at the same time, but at the same time, Jeff, you've got to look at the creators. Wow. Like, Kieran Gillen and Marguerite Bennett are, mm-hmm. Like, uh, with the exception of, of Al Ewing, the most f- forward-thinking yes. <laughs> uh, creators are Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like, they're both working in this book. Like, why not? They have yeah. this character. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. Anyway, again, it's completely subtextual. Mm-hmm. If you choose not to have that reading, you don't. Right. Um, which is a point of contention for a lot of people in and of itself. Yes. Like, does it matter whether she's closeted? Does it matter whether it's subtextual? is a discussion that many have had. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, Hercules is announced. Fans say, finally, we have an LGBTQ out character. Yes. Um, days later, days after this announcement, CBR 
basically asks Alonso to confirm this, and he says, no, he's straight. Which is terrible. Um, which is just, <laughs> like, terrible. Um, and amusing in a bitter way to me, because when it was announced, I emailed Marvel and said, so Hercules is is, is by, right? Like, will you confirm that to me? And I got an official, no, we won't confirm it. Wow. From them. And I didn't do anything with the story. Because I was like, there's no real story here. Like, mm-hmm. my story was going to be for THR. They f- hooray, they finally fucking got a, a queerly character. You're right. And, yeah. and then they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't confirm it. I was like, I don't really have a story. Like, my story could be they don't. But, because when they say we're not going to confirm it, you know the answer's no. Right. Right? Um. Anyway, Alonso says this in the middle of what is inarguably the worst interview I think he's ever run. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's also the interview where they're asked, why don't you have more black creators? And he pretty much says, because they died. Oh, yeah. Dwayne <laughs> McDuffie and Robert Morales, which is fucking appalling. He actually says the words, we're experiencing a lull in black creators, which is, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, he then says, we'll have more in a few months, which again, terrible yeah. um he talks about how marvel has an influx of women writers and names four of them two of them one of them has left the, the company the other one is only doing a four issue miniseries wow like it's a terrible interview it's a terrible interview um but he says no hercules is straight and the internet explodes mm-hmm. just explodes about this um for many reasons and and I think the main one is that Marvel does a terrible record with mm-hmm. LGBTQ characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, if, I said it on Twitter, but if you take away Al Ewing's books, you've literally taken away 60% of LGBTQ uh, <laughs> representation in Marvel. 60%! If you take away two books! Wow. Oof. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um... Staggeringly, we are now seven days after he said this, and Marvel has not released any statement about it. Mm. It has been written up in a lot of places. This has gotten a lot of coverage. Uh, and the coverage is, Marvel has straight-washed this character. I didn't even know straight-washing was a term. I didn't that either. Means, it's such a good term. Now I do, because mm-hmm. everyone's been saying it. Um <laughs> Also, you know, there's been lots of what is Marvel's problem with LGBTQ, LGBTQ characters? Mm-hmm. Um, like, is Marvel homophobic has been coverage. Uh, Comics Alliance has run two pieces on it. One of them basically saying they are betraying the LGBTQ community. The other one saying, I'm boycotting Marvel because they do not care. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's been a lot of coverage about this. And the story for me beyond the fact that Marvel is terrible... <laughs> Right. It's the Marvel's PR is terrible. Marvel's PR is I can't super believe bad. I can't believe they've let this happen. Like I really genuinely can't. Marvel's PR used to be a lot better at basically even if it was empty getting out statements to stop this from happening. And the fact that we're 7 days later and there's been nothing mm-hmm. is kind of amazing. I mean there's other things involved here as well in the immediate backlash when a lot of people were on Twitter Losing their fucking minds about this. Yes. Um, Dan Slott tried to defend Alonso in a terrible way. Um, and the next day apologized, which I thought was great. And really, I think what Alonso needs to do, I think he actually at this point needs to apologize and say, I'll try harder. 
and just shut up apart from it. It's pretty. It's pretty much if he if they had if they if he had used that narrative at any point over you know the the month or so of various interviews that he'd given where he just seemed to make things worse and worse it really would have been a he he well he wouldn't be he wouldn't be looking at this kind of situation certainly you know but he, okay here's the other side of it though mhm Marvel doesn't care. Marvel doesn't have to care. Well, that's it. For such Marvel, a long time, Marvel has used to uh, essentially everyone saying like it or lump it. That's certainly the way that, that they've treated they can the retailers. Still do it mm-hmm. in June. DC relaunch and DC did everything the internet wants to. They're like, look here's Cyborg. Here's I, I think when I say like DC has six titles now with LGBTQ leads, which is fucking staggering. Mm-hmm. And DC got killed in the sales charts. Yeah. Market share went down significantly and Marvel's went up. Well, right. And part of it is, sure, Secret Wars. But the other thing is, you guys, this is never reflected in sales. Mm -hmm. Marvel knows that it is going to win market share when all new different Marvel launches because that's what it does. Marvel really launches a lot because it works. Marvel is going to fucking decimate everyone else Mm -hmm. in October, November, December. Yeah, I think so too. And so Marvel has no reason to change. Mm-hmm. Like you, crybabies, and I'm including myself in this because I was very vocal in this last Friday. Mm-hmm. But like, we can say whatever we want. We can be as appalled as we want, and we can be as morally in the right as we want. Marvel just cares about the money, and Marvel's going to get a lot of that money, right? Well, because there are, I mean, you know, uh, um, although there's fascinating reasons for that. I think, you know, that because there are reasons that's, that step outside the, the context of uh, one of the things that bums me out is the DCU launch hit at the time that a certain number of retailers felt absolutely betrayed by DC and weren't going to support them. Yeah, know? I've actually talked to a number of retailers who are pretty much like, I don't care what DC do. Yeah. Just all right. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Which is such a shame. Mm-hmm. It really is. Because DC's doing great work right now. Like, mm-hmm. DC's putting out their strongest line in fucking years. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because they've lost the faith of retailers. But here's the thing. Marvel's not had the faith of the retailers for years. Marvel has not had the... Well, see, so... They've, so, they've made the retailers money, no, which is what it really comes down to. We'll see, not. exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've, and, they've, yeah. they've not had the faith... Like, Marvel's relationship with retailers is no better no, right. Well, but it it has been worse for for longer, I think, and so there is a little bit of the DC was 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 the classic like we're number two, but we try harder kind of concept for such a long time, and was there for retailers, and admittedly, retailers kind of didn't necessarily give a crap, although. If you well, ask me, I feel that that the launch of the new Fifty Two had a if if DC had handled that better, a lot better. I think that could have turned turned around things a lot for people um, in terms of that relationship. In terms of basically just being able to make more money for retailers and retailers developing a certain degree of like, oh, okay, I'm making money from you. And you're doing things that I can trust. Therefore, I'm more inclined to back you. 
But in fact, there, are, as you know from looking at, uh, I, I want to say Brian Hibbs's latest Tilting at Windmills talks about the degree of disappointment that he's had in the way that DC are handling things uh, in the wake of Bob Wayne's departure, where he's like, I don't, I don't see these guys as allies at all. And as you, as you know personally, Graham, like Hibbs is really was very much a DC fan and comics experience was in many ways a DC store. Sure. But that's in many ways why I don't really trust Hibbs as a, as a, a representative sample. Sure. I, 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 also I, I very much read Brian's current state as the betrayed ex. Yeah, it could be, but I, I, I how do I but, put it? But I don't I've also think talked he's to alone. a number of other retailers who yeah. are pissed at DC for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Like there is an exceptional amount of ill will. Yeah. And not even ill will, apathy. Yeah, we don't care if they sink or swim. Right. It was Uh, ill will or apathy. Yeah. Whereas I think that one of the things that has been, again, and maybe this is, you know, hearing it from from the mouth of the, yeah, the divorce ex, is there are a a lot. He's like, Marvel's putting out good books. And almost despite itself, I would say that there's a lot of truth to that. There are some, I mean, it is problematic in terms of representation currently, but you, and, and by currently, I mean the last 10 years or whatever. But if you, if that is not necessarily your focus in terms of they have some very talented people who've been doing some very talented stuff and some very readable stuff, like admittedly, again, a very small subset. But Hibbs just keeps going on and on about how good he thinks the Secret Wars issues are. He's like, this is a good crossover. It's a good crossover. He's like, I read those books and it's they're interesting and they're entertaining and I have no trouble at all handing them to, you know, hand-selling them. As opposed to, he is a huge, you know, DC fan. And I think his problems with Convergence were much more... You know, it wasn't just. There's so many. Re- there's so many problems to have with the convergence. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, I kind of feel that's a little bit of. That's kind of been the DC story for the last three or four years. And again, as you point out, Marvel has been terrible to the retailers for a long time. What I think is fascinating to me is the number of people who are relatively new Marvel fans who are vocal and vociferous on Tumblr and Twitter and the internet. And they're like, I don't get it. Why are you like, kind of like, are like, I don't, you know, they don't, they don't want to pay atten- much attention to DC because they like Marvel. They bonded oh, no, with no, Marvel I, stuff. I know. Like yeah. I, I, there are, there are people I've talked to mm-hmm. who are like, I came into Marvel through the movies. Like yeah. Marvel's my, Marvel is my jam. Yeah. And I've exactly. been like, Oh, you should try like based on what you like. Mm-hmm. I know you'd like, you know, I know you'd like Batgirl. I know you'd like Black Canary. Mm-hmm. And the response is literally, why would I even try a DC book? Yeah. Right. Why is that? And it's, that? you know, that that's, I find that fascinating. And it's, it's you know, DC's, I'd rather, Marvel's won the brand loyalty thing. Oh, yeah. Well, like, and, and they've is, gone you know, back for a long time. It's always been their strength, which is... It's stunning to see that they've managed to do it past these generations because part of me really is like maybe because you and I have, have been here for such a long time. But part of me is like I don't really see the difference between – Yeah, but here's 
here's the thing. I think without the movies, Marvel mm-hmm. wouldn't be there. Oh, I yeah, think sure. Marvel movies resurrected brand loyalty. Yes. Well, yes, and they have very, very cleverly bonded those two together very tightly. But what's yeah? But what's interesting for me is how dull all the different Marvel looks. Mm-hmm. Um, in in almost every direction. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining if I am someone who came in through the movies, mm-hmm. um. I wouldn't get why you had to go through Secret Wars to essentially get the same comic afterwards. And I can imagine if you were someone who came in through that and you you fell for the everything is different, mm-hmm. only to get served this up afterwards. Not that you'd be bitter, but you'd be confused. So this is I mean, my thing, Graham. Like, what is? And I could be wrong, but let's say let's say that we are that you are somebody who. Well, I mean, there's so many ways to sort of slice this pie, but but let's say that you're someone who does come through to the Marvel movies, sort of like, why would you expect things to change? I mean, assuming unless you actually are no, reading because, all the press releases because, and things. Yeah, that's just it. Because Marvel went out of the way to tell you everything was different. Yeah, yeah. And also, the line's called "All New, All Different Marvel." Sure, absolutely. <laughs> no, I know, and <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the point where you're like, but it's called all different. Yeah. Why is like why why are the same people doing Hawkeye? Mm-hmm. Why is Iron Man exactly the same? Yeah. Why is it? Oh, talking talking about Marvel. Yes. Um, this week on Marvel Unlimited, I finally, finally got around to reading Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Ah, and Jeff, even though you told me that it, it would be something I'd loved, I was kind of mad at you that you didn't like emphasize quite how much I'd love it before. Because I really was like, I adore this. This is yes. like my favorite thing. Why did Jeff like? I, I was like, I know he told me I'd love it. Why didn't he really tell me I'd love it? Why didn't he get me to start I really was. I was like, this is the greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I was actually super excited to see it on Marvel Unlimited. But, um, yeah, but, yeah, it's so funny. And I know someone who's just like Squirrel, and I, I like emails her, is like, Have you ever heard this comic? And she's like, No, it's like, you have to read this comic. Like, it's in her, her like screenshots. And she was like, What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's so well done. I think Ryan North just, uh, well, the entire creative team, Ryan North and Erica Henderson. Um, Maris Wil- uh, Wilkes, am I getting that name right? Is she the colorist? Someone? Yeah, who also does uh, the art on the, the, the Deadpool cards. Oh yeah, the, the Deadpool cards, which are great. Yeah, no, it's just it is it is a genuinely, genuinely fun and funny book, and just and and sweet, um, and yet also incredibly, like it's got exactly the right degree of knowledge about the Marvel yeah. universe. You yeah, know? and also about itself, like mm-hmm. it's it's really aware when it's it's playing with ideas that you're familiar with or or deterring ideas that you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Well, good. I'm so glad you got to that. Yeah, oh, I loved it. I really was. I was like, fuck. And so I went to the store yesterday and I was like, they've got a back issues. And they were understandably like, no, we sold out. What are you talking about? It's a great thing. <laughs> Did, you didn't feel like jumping for the trade then? Because I think they've got the first trade out. Oh, it's the trade out? Yeah, I think oh. so. I, I, so. I didn't know the trade was out. Yeah, I might get the trade. Then. I, you know, let's not quote me on that. I want to give it to Kate. I want because I was, I was saying oh, to her, oh, yeah. she just the digital. I was like, yeah, yeah. you're like this is a very funny comic. You, yeah. you would, it's very funny. 
Well, let me see here. Let me let me let me check out the old Amazon and see what it has to say. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Oh yeah, no, I'm wrong. Sorry, it's coming out in September. So sorry. So sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, so you're perfectly justified in being like frustrated in so far. Um, that's fabulous, Graham. Uh, I'm glad. Did you I, check I, out I really... the first sorry, issue what? of Star Wars as well, or no? I did, and Star Wars is fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not feeling Star Wars. I have to admit. Really interesting. Okay. Like it's it's fine, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. not like I'm not super pumped about it at all. Well, I, it sort of make I, I'm like, especially if you're reading it in, um, if you're reading it in the same session as Squirrel Girl, because they're not, because they're not the same thing at all. Squirrel Girl is something that really is fun and charming, but also isn't. How do I put it? It's it's not just product. You know what I mean? Whereas the Star Wars Marvel stuff, which I'm enjoying, is still very much. Uh, very well, much that's product. that's kind of what's killing me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and it's interesting because I saw on Tumblr, and I think I even I, I like shared it. Um, the Gillen Laroca Darth yes. Vader finds out he has a son. Yes. scene mm-hmm. from from Darth Vader, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. Loved it, but that felt genuine to we- to me in a way that the Aaron Cassidy stuff feels. Like, I have point A, I have point B. I've got to connect the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which, which I can understand. I mean, the thing that's hilarious is is that um, I haven't been following Darth Vader, so that scene actually starts it, at it the end. It plays out in, yeah, yeah I, I in remember both issues. Say, yeah, like, exactly. It plays out in both issues. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, I thought it was a great moment when it happens at the end of issue six. So seeing the scene get extended by a little bit, and very clear, you know, intelligently, since it's the Darth Vader book, I was like, "Oh, I didn't realize it was that." And I and I have to admit, I was kind of like, "Okay, I'm gonna like I'm kind of." I figured what I would do is essentially wait and read Vader on Unlimited, <laughs> which I might be waiting a while, certainly. But um, no, it's it should be coming on like this month. Should be, I would think. I mean, Star, Star Wars issue two is now available on Unlimited. Exactly, just came out uh, like, this week. And Vader issue one came out the same month. Okay, all right. Well, that's great. Maybe in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, so yeah. But overall, kind of... like, I'm Unlimited is still my way to read Marvel, and it's I'm kind of fascinated by you saying Marvel's putting out all these great books, and like you know, Hibs is really excited because one of the things about Unlimited is it really makes me realize how much I'm reading because it's free, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. and how little I'd be paying for. Yeah. Because all the books seem professional, mm-hmm. but none, like very few of them seem great. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, again, I'm like, this is where Hibbs's focus is, uh, and and I, I think it would not surprise me because Hibbs and I are very different people that – for all I know, he was super excited about the Avengers, New Avengers, Hickman stuff. I don't know, actually. I don't know if, considering how much, how well he's talking about Secret Wars. I mean, you know me. I bought like issues two, three, and four, and I'm like, eh, it's okay, yeah, sure, you know, or whatever it is. Did you like, buy issue one? No, no, I didn't bother with issue one because I was just like everything I heard about it. It was like I picked up two on the flip through, and I was like, oh, that seems okay. But issue one, everything about it, since it was very much like the destruction of the Of course, of the I forgot. World. Issue one is like essentially a prologue. I yeah. Actually, I actually forgot that entirely. 
<laughs> I forgot how terribly Secret Wars started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, I don't care. But Hibs is all, was all over it, you know. For myself, it's interesting. I have Marvel Unlimited. I always load it up and check out what's there. But what the things that I have been meaning to read, my to-do list for Marvel, which is pretty much like catch up on Al Ewing's books um, and, you know, sort of delve around in some of the others, even much older stuff that I really want to read that I've heard good things about, just kind of keeps – I'm very much on my manga tip. So um, I, I I always load it up, but I'm always much more excited when, when Marvel – does uh like oh here's a bunch of older stuff you know i mean yeah. you know but it, no it's it's true like when i catch up it's it's cuz i'm catching up mhm mm-hmm. like i'm not like i've got to check on monday i you know i really hope that new issue of fill in the blank right. is there mhm uh because yeah it's 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 very well done for what it is but what it is is entirely disinteresting to me right which i totally believe I totally get because I'm kind of there. And again, there's things where, so who knows? Yes. Brian Hibbs, unreliable witness. We should have had him on the show so we could cross examine him about it. (laughs) Exactly. Talk, talk about yourself. (laughs) Defend yourself, man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The trial of Brian Hibbs, a six issue podcasting event. Did you read, uh, well, so let's talk about a few books. Tell me a few more books that you've read. There's like a, a number of things that I want to talk about super briefly that I don't really have a lot to say personally. Um, I, I, okay, so this week I really did catch up with a lot of Valiant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, of particular note of the Valiant stuff, I really am enjoying Dead Drop. I am really enjoying Time Walker, which, is, which remains Doctor Who if Doctor Who was a dick. I uh, Ninjak is actually surprisingly strong. The the Matt Kint uh God, who is drawing Ninjak? Clay Mann is drawing Ninjak. Mm-hmm. Um Super Spy book, which hilariously you know, this week I was like, they could totally make this into Mission Impossible. Like if someone wants to make the Ninjak movie, besides mm-hmm. the fact you're getting over the fact that it's called Ninjak, <laughs> yes. you, totally make, you know, you could totally Well, in the comics they actually retcons it. They're like, okay, so it's actually Ninja K. Ah. Like there's been Ninja A through I before this. He's Ninja K. That's which, great. you know, good good attempt, but it's still called Ninja. Um, but it's it's a it's a perfectly to use a U word cromulent spy book, <laughs> right? Uh, book of Death, which is what it's actually called now that I'm looking at it, is very strong for a a crossover. This not a crossover. Mm. In that, it really is one of those, the main stories in the main book and the spin-offs are the future versions of what happens to the characters, which seems like a nice structure for it. Um, but it's, it's, it feels very much like a sequel to The Valiant, which I was surprised by and really, really like. I like that they're almost, it almost feels like they're building a core continuity that only happens in the, the crossover books, which I really like. Hmm. Um, Midnighter issue three. Midnighter continues to surprise me with how much I like it. Uh, yeah, that's in large part, in large part with the art. ACO is back, or mm-hmm. Ako, whichever he is, is back with this issue. Um, and it's just, it's a fucking beautiful looking book. Hmm. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. And I like the, the strange connection with Grayson that it has, uh, which is essentially like, 
Midnighter is aware that Grayson exists and is kind of after him after getting his butt kicked by Grayson in the Grayson title. Yes. And so Grayson actually pops up at the end of this issue. Mm. And Midnighter basically like, thank fuck, finally I can beat you up. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to get the next issue. I want to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, read it last week, but the Batgirl is great this month. But the Batgirl annual is amazing. Oh, really? It is... The main story is Batgirl, Grayson crossover, except they never meet. Because mm. obviously Dick Grayson is dead. Right. So he spends the issue hiding from her. Hmm. But what is great is the backups, which then picks up the dangling plot thread from the main story and teams Batgirl up with uh, Spoiler, drawn by David LaFuente, um, Batwoman, drawn by Ming Doyle, and uh, Gotham Academy, drawn by Helen Chen. Huh. And for that alone, hmm. it's worth picking up because it's the most beautiful fucking comic. Hmm. And it's just fun as well. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Um, let's see, Arclight, which we'll talk about in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of Micronauts back issues again. Woo! Back on the Micronauts train. Uh, this mm-hmm. is how Micronauts The New Voyages, the sequel series written by Peter Gillis, which has a very different tone. Yeah, I never got into that second I, series. I'm kind of, like, I I really did, and mm-hmm. was, which surprised me because I remember disliking it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much picked it up being like, this will be weird, and again, this is super cheap. Right. And found myself really liking it. Mm-hmm. It's a very different comic, but found myself really, really liking it. Um, and there's something else I've read, and I can't remember for life of me. Oh yeah, Iron Man: Fatal Frontier, which is the print collection of the Al Ewing, Kieran Gillen, and a bunch of artists' web comic to, huh. to accompany the Gillen run of Iron Man. Huh. Um, and reads. Very, I'm going to say very poorly in print. Interesting. Uh, you can definitely see the joints between the episodes. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see the joints between the infinite comic format and print comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not translate very well. Hmm. There's some scenes in particular. I mean, say what you like about, uh, you know, DC's digital to print, with mm-hmm. the exception of the fact that you can cut every page in half. In yes. Right. Like it reads fine. There's mm-hmm. parts in the Iron Man one that, that just don't, where mm. where the the panels look odd and right. the layout of the page looks odd, um, which is kind of problematic. And also, I think that a lot of the storytelling problems I had with it would not be there if I was reading the animated version. I can imagine. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a really. There was a lot I liked about it. Uh, a lot of which is basically either Ewing or Gillen because they they co-script. Um, they have a very there's a very funny sense of humor in the book. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are some really nice touches, but there's parts where the plot utterly gets away with from the writers. Hmm. Um, in in a like I can see why this would be clever had it come off, but it doesn't it hasn't come off. Right. Right. You know, I can totally see what you're going for, and that would be great. <laughs> you know, like that, where, where you're, you're like, high marks for trying, however. Right. Um, which was somewhat frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, very quickly, is not a book, uh, it's not a comic, but a book, uh, which is Cy Spurrier's Unusual Concentrations, is his self published ebook. 
Hmm. I want. It might just be through Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for people who have enjoyed his comic stuff, especially his X Men Legacy, uh, I think you should read this book if you can track it down. It's 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 actually super super fun. Hmm. Interesting. You know, actually, it's so funny. I'm like, oh, right, X-Men Legacy. That's another one I've been meaning to read on Marvel Unlimited for, like, ever now. So there you have it. So what do you want to talk about very quickly? Well, very quickly, because I realized, I'm like, holy shit, we ran late. Um, I wanted to mention the second issue of We Stand on Guard, which I liked better than the first. Some, I'm still super coolish on it. It's kind of the Brian K. Vaughn book that I'm... I, I finally caught up with the first issue and I totally see why you're coolish on it because I, I was like, yeah, that's a comic that exists. Yeah, it, it's very much... I mean, there's stuff with Steve Scroach's uh, work where I'm like, sure, I guess it's pretty, but it doesn't necessarily wow me on this. Um, and And... and the second issue actually sort of I liked more for a degree of things, mainly more the the idea that um, I suppose the wit involved in that it reads like once you throw in everyone's little code names, it's like, oh, it's almost like a post-apocalyptic Canadian G.I. Joe. Like I was like, oh, that part's kind of fun. I'm down for that. But – at the same time, I'm like, it's still a long ways from getting me to care about it. Uh, I quite liked Dark Corridor by Rich Tommaso. His work, I've always liked his the cut of his jib cartooning-wise, but I've never really quite connected with his material for the most part. Um, and here where he's doing uh, a cri- set, I guess... Crime stories in an interlocking milieu with characters so that it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, you know, it's sort of like a guy who's got influences from dudes like Matadi and who, who's the guy who did the cabbie? Um, that's not Matzo. Uh, Lorenzi. You've lost me. Um, shit. Hold on a second. Uh, Marty. Uh, M A R T I. Who who's like Marty Rira? Ah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um. Yeah. He's. You know. It's basically. Uh, it's got those influences, but it's very much applying it to sort of a. How do I put it? It. It. So it's like a very coolish, um, very indie, cartoony-looking take on, like Sin City. You know, it's, it's definitely has, um, I enjoyed it. It, it looks great. It's got good chops. There's a few parts where I was like, eh, but you know, considering I'm kind of on the art tip these days, uh, I thought that was a really enjoyable book and looked awesome. And I noticed now it's rated M for mature in the bottom right hand corner. So thank you. You, you with the rated M's. Uh, it totally reminds me, by the way, uh, did I tell you I read diary comics, the, the collection of Dustin Harbin's stuff? No, you did not. Oh, Jeff, Jesus Christ, you've got to read it. It's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, that's you great. You don't seem convinced at all. You have, to, I, you have to read it. It's really, really, really good. It's it's autobiographical comics that, get this, are not up their own ass. It's amazing, I know. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll have to... I, here's... Yeah, I'll have to hunt it up. I have to hunt it up. I guess. Get out of the library! Come on! <laughs> Black Canary Issue 2. I didn't like it. 
I, I don't think the book's for me. I think I'm going to have to drop it, which is kind of a bummer considering how much I enjoy Batgirl. And really, in theory, it seems like it's the same thing, but I just have no patience for it in some weird way. Um, I don't know. Did you read issue two? Did do yeah, anything I, for you? I really liked it. I oh, really liked it. I've seen it, but I've seen a lot of people dislike issue two. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Um, to the point where I am now thinking I'm the freak for liking it. No, well, I'm relieved. I just figured that that was me. No, it just, uh, the, the, there were some, some pacing decisions I didn't agree with at all. And there was just a variety of other factors where I was just like, no, I'm out. Sorry. Starts, start, started great, but by the end of, halfway through the second issue, I lost patience. Uh, Godzilla in Hell, issue one, uh, James Stucco art returning to Godzilla. It is, I want to say it's a wordless comic for the most part, um, you know, because all you get are basically sound effects and the, you know, and the titles and abandon all hope ye who enter here. Uh, but tremendously engaging. If, if you like Stucco's art and Stucco's art and you like Godzilla, seeing him return to do just crazy fucked up character monster designs. Um, I, I, I quite liked it. I don't, I can't imagine how, where it's going to go. And in fact, one of the things I like about Godzilla and Hell issue one is Stucco kind of makes it a, his, his, his intro and his outro are essentially the same. So you can either look at it like Godzilla falls into the next level of hell, or if you just want to buy this one comic, you know, Godzilla falls out. It, it, it's, yes, he, ba- he basically just ends up, he's caught in a, in a recurring loop, which is this comic book issue, which is kind of fun to sort of consider. Uh, as you know, I continue to be a, entirely apologetic about reading Outcast by Robert Kirkman, um, because <laughs> of the- Are you going to see Air when it comes out? Doesn't Air come out this week? Uh, uh, who? What? Air, it- the first movie from Kirkman's, uh, Skybound? Oh well, of course I am, Graham. Don't don't even be ridiculous. Uh, clearly, no, no, I don't think so. You're no. you're a massive fan. Come on, if you're I, buying Outcast, you're on the Kirkman train, whether you like it or not. No, buying... that is not true. I, look at the I, art, Graham. I will point out panels of the art. It is a gorgeous book. It is a gorgeous book. Paul Azaketa and Elizabeth Breitweiser do amazing stuff. That being said, I found myself reading these two issues because I read them back to back because, of course, I bought one and, and lost it. And it wasn't until I picked up issue 11 and I'm like, wait, this seems strange. Exactly. Uh, Have I read issue 10? Yeah, exactly. I had to go back, dig it up. I like it. I don't think it's an especially, I think what Kirkman's trying to do, I think he's doing especially poorly, but, um, but man, he's got himself just a great team of collaborators. So I'm still on board. Uh, in a similar, please don't judge me kind of way. I read the two issues of Mad Max Fury Road by, um, Oh, I, I, I have those on my to-do list. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I get mailed them all. I've I've still not seen the film, so I'm kind of like, I'm going to read this comic and see what it's like. Oh, man. I don't see... Do you like any Mad Max stuff at all? Did you like the original uh, sets of movies? I I haven't seen them since they're kids, and they're on, like, Sunday night to, like, midnight. But <laughs> sure, I liked them enough. Uh, well, I, I actually thought that... Because I picked up the other... At least one of the other Mad Max Fury Road tie-ins, I think the Immortan Joe issue, which I thought was pretty much a big 
flop. Um, this is pretty underwhelming, except I think that the team that they have on it, uh, especially um, Mark Sexton on the art, did a pretty good job making stuff relatively kinetic and design heavy. So, um, well, he, wasn't he a designer on the film? It, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I know I, that. I want like, to say everyone making the everyone making the comics worked on the film. Yeah, I think I think I thought that was the case with the script writers. I didn't know if that was the case with the the artists. Um, it, it's pretty enjoyable. I got to say, like for myself, I'm like ah, post apocalyptic Road Warrior comics. Like that's kind it's kind of my sweet spot. So it wasn't great. I wasn't like oh these are fantastic, but I was like I wasn't like absurdly disappointed either. Like it cleared the, my relatively low bar of expectations slash what I would want to enjoy. So it's kind of hard for me to recommend it. Um, no mercy. Number four by Alex DeCampi and Carlos speed McNeil and Jen Manley Lee. Uh, the fourth issue is where things I thought really ended up getting pretty enjoyably fucked up. The first issue was strong Second and third issue, I remember being kind of not as on board with. Um, four really has that kind of drifting classroom feel of you really feel about the, you really care about these characters and they're really going to get fucked in a way that is, that is, that, that you feel really sorry for them while you read the book, you know? Grayson number 10, uh, great art. Oh my god, the art on Grayson just continues to be fabulous. Um, I was a little more coolish about this issue, but I think maybe that's because normally they're scripted by Tom King and this one was scripted by Tim Seeley with a plot they, by Seeley and King. Well, they, they flip off. As well. Do they? Okay. Yeah. And they've been doing that since the start of the series. Uh, okay. So I have not. Which been... might explain also why you you go up and down in the book. You know, like, I, think, totally I think you true. like King more than you like Seeley. I can all but guarantee that. Yeah, that is totally the case. Uh, issue two of All-Star Section 8, which was a hideous comic book. And I'm sorry <laughs> I read it or looked at it. So, yeah, that was... What, is that, what is that series? <laughs> what? Right. All, what all, is that series? All-Star Section 8? Yeah, you know, the it's the it's the Ennis. Um, it's no, Ennis no, 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 I, no, I know exactly what it is. What I'm saying is, like, why is that being published? What uh, the fuck? I don't know. I Oh, okay, thank you. Okay, I was like... Bad. I, I don't... You know, I think they were like, oh, everyone remembers Hitman quite fondly. Let's bring back this character. And I know you and I had read the first issue and were, like, um, significantly underwhelmed. Yeah, this yes. was... This was one where it's like literally there were three pages that I did not outright hate, you know, where I was like, oh, and it really was like, I don't even know if I like them. I'm just so aware how much I don't hate them. I'm relieved. Whereas everything else was just pretty ugly and puerile in a way that was the opposite of entertaining. So, um, no, you're saying an Ennis comic is puerile? I, I can't believe it. And, and unentertaining, though. But that's 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 the Again, key. You're saying an Ennis comic is oh, really unentertaining? Moving on. Robin, son of Batman, is a huge mess. I love the art on it so much, and I really thought that Gleason has 
nine million ideas for the cool scenes that he's trying to jam in there, but... Unfortunately, he has nine million ideas for the cool scenes that he's trying to jam in there. Yeah, exactly. That is that is really the problem. He would be better served by someone who's kind of like, hey, let's, let's, let's temper this down a bit. Um, so that was kind of a bummer. E for Extinction, issue two... I really liked, I like, I, Chris Burnham, I, you know, I thought he did the first issue, wrote the first issue on his own. And then it looks like he co-wrote this. Culver, yeah. Dennis Culver came Dennis in, right? Culver. Right. So, um, but I thought they did a great job in the art by, is it, uh, Juan Villa, Villa Lobos is just, it's really good. It's really, it's kind of everything that I wanted from the end of, um, the end of Morrison's new X-Men run and didn't get. So it's he, I'm, I'm really kind of impressed. Part of me is like Chris Burnham is like, I'm sure he's an in demand talent, but I think he is not actually in demand enough considering how good he is. Um, Batgirl 42. I quite liked, uh, sex criminals, the whatever issue, issue 11. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought was, really enjoyable. I feel like I hadn't read it in a while. So it was kind of like it's reading it. It's not been out for a while. Maybe. Okay. That must be why I was like, huh. it's, it's, here's my snark. It's a mad fraction comic. And so it's experiencing mad fraction delays. I think there's actually logistical delays with issue 11. though. I think oh, that's okay. what it was. Well, I heard that there, there was, if, if Doug at comics experience is to be believed, they went through some sort of crazy deal with their packaging thing that, yeah, they tried ridiculous. to do something that couldn't work out, basically, and they had to pulp her on. Right, exactly. So, um, so, but, but, I, so, yeah. So I was kind of like, huh? Oh, how great! I feel like I haven't. I'm completely up to speed on the issue. I wonder how that happened, considering I hadn't read an issue in like what felt like three or four months. And uh, Weird World issue two from a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was kind of great and kind of not great. Like the art. <laughs> Is lovely. I really appreciated the fact that he brought back Christar in a way. Um, for I, a, no, he I, didn't. He brought back Christar. Please, let's get his name right. Oh, sorry. Um, Thank you. And but he didn't. He brought back Warbo. He, he brought back Warbo. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then he's he's supposed to rescue his friend Christar, and he picks up a big bag of rocks. He's like, "My friend, here he is." And so you haven't. You just assume that he's nuts, but. I'm like, until I hear otherwise, it's Christar. Uh, but it was also... <laughs> Looks like Christar to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> really reminds me of the experience of reading Christar. I haven't, I didn't read Christar. Um, I didn't. I did not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, that art is amazing. It really is amazing. But it's very much like uh, Robin, Son of Batman, issue two. There's like too many ideas running around. Nothing's really developed. And it's poorly paced enough that it's kind of it's supposed to feel like a super exciting comic but because they forgot the part about introducing the stakes and making you care about the stakes like it's all just featherweight so um and then uh in the manga next time we'll have to talk about uh is it aizu i yeah it's aizu um which is which really should have been called for the american audience um panty shot the upskirting 
Um, I bought the first two issues on sale because I'm like, oh, man, I'm at such a. I'm on... like, I, I love that sort of thing. So. I, well, okay, see, I knew it. I knew I couldn't speak fast enough before the gram attack. Uh, hey, you you actually caused that one, Jeff. You did called I? it. I shot the opening. You asked for that. Oh, okay. No, Graham, I did not, because my point was I thought it was going to be one type of book. It's presented as a romance book, and silly me, I'm like, oh, and and it's one of those books that I'm like, I never see it on the library shelves at the public library. Now I know why. So, yes, I was not Is that you were saying just like, it's a right part? It's... What's the view? There's two problems to it. The one problem is the endless number of panty shots, which really are like, I mean, it, it, it just the amount it's just, it's just a little uncomfortable. The degree to which the artist is uh, like, cause that's the problem. It's like they're well-drawn. In fact, the problem is they're too well-drawn at a certain point. You're like, Oh my God, like I'm not seeing anything other than just, a girl in her panties, but it is I like I'm like I could go to jail. I don't I don't feel right. This is terrible. Even more important or more to the point, and even more to be a a a, a book that Graham McMillan would um, a hate and b tease me about. It's it it makes uh, it makes Bakuman look like our bodies ourselves. You know, in terms of oh, how oh, really hor- it it is bad. <laughs> it it treats it treats its female characters abominably, and its main character is an utter turd, and not an utter turd in that like oh, we're going to see him learn to become a better person as time goes on. You're like not a charming utter, utter turd. Yeah, exactly. He's just, it's clear. Like this is, this is, this is like, a, and there's 15 volumes of this stuff. Like it was hugely popular in Shonen Jump. It is sort of the way that my love story is a book where uh, it's, completely an awkward it, it's it's a it's a romance fantasy for awkward males um and although the 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 girlfriend character in that is really how do i put it she's she's just she's just such a relent ridiculously even three or four volumes in is just a great sweet perfect person like there's really nothing wrong with her at all in any way and therefore she's not really a character she's just a wish fulfillment object that is still i mean it's kind of depressing in terms of a degree of representation it's not a book that i that that women can read for the strong female characters but it is not offensive either whereas uh, isu um there's a there's a note in the front on how he wants it pronounced. I think it's supposed to be pronounced like Aisu, uh, is horrible. Like it is, it is just bone jangling. And that could be maybe just the fact that the book was written back in, you know, 1997 Japan for a teenage boy audience. And therefore like hopefully Japan, like America, at least as far as some of its social issues has come a long ways. But I was just like, Oh God, Oh, this is bad. This is bad. Like it's literally one of those things where it's like, I don't want you to ever read a volume of it because you will give me shit till the day I die for having ever read it. And 
kind of deservedly. It's a, it's <laughs> really like, and Jeff, this is the thing right, that's amazing. Jeff, you read something bad. Do you think it's bad? Like, yes. Why would I? Why would I give you shit about that? Because you can, Graham. Because read, you but can. We've all read something shit. Like no, all of us have read shit things. I, I know, absolutely, absolutely. You just continue to give me shit for it, like past the expiration date on that. Not always, but sometimes. Especially where Monka's concerned. You're like, oh, Jeff, no. I love that I, I'm telling you, I would not give you shit. And you're like, but you'd give me shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you would say that now, Graham. But yeah, no, we both know. It's okay. So, uh, so that's it. That's my rundown of the stuff that I read. I didn't mention, I, I don't think I mentioned Batgirl 42, which I, which you did. I really you did. liked. Okay, great. I think I said it just very dismissively, but, um, I liked how it tied into the Batman mythos. And of course, Babtar's art is lovely. I think it's fascinating that someone else is doing the layouts, not Cameron Stewart, and, and she's still, and she's doing the completed art, but, you know, but that's fine. That's I mean, it works. But it was just odd. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I think Stuart's probably uh, time busy with uh, Fight Club Two. Mm-hmm. And I know that recently Tara gave uh, an interview where she said she was doing the layouts. So it's very possible that at some point she was like, "I just need help with this issue." Could be okay. That, and they were like, "Okay, yeah. we'll bring these guys in." Yeah, that that because I I also noticed that she was not doing layouts for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, because I was like, huh, wait, that hasn't been the – I didn't have the time to sit down and flip through all the back issues and things. So. She did definitely did layouts for her short, and I think she might have done layouts for 41 herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. So. Yeah. Anyway, it worked. It still felt like a good, strong, organic issue, and I, I really kind of – I like some of the stuff that they're doing with the Jim Gordon and, you know, like he's supposed to have a mandate of hunting down the Batman family members. I'm like, well, okay, it's, it's all, it's a good hook. So, you know. I have to say, I'm actually liking that better than I'm liking Detective, which is theoretically the second Batman title. Mm. And it's just not working. Is that still, is it still Bucoletto and, um, Manipul, no, because Manipul's bailed. Oh. Manipul is no longer on it. Manipul is now working on Aquaman Earth 1 as a graphic novel. Interesting. Uh, and so it's Bucoletto and and random artist I can't remember the name of. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only finishing out the arc and then they're getting replaced. Well, it, it, seemed, it didn't seem like it worked. Like right it out didn't. of the gate. To be yeah. perfectly honest, it didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manipul and Bookletter worked really well on Flash, and then just did not proceed to work on Batman on Dark Detective at all. Mm. Um, they're being replaced by Pete Tomasi and and some artist I can't remember. <laughs> Man, oh well, I, in theory that's good. I mean, Pete Tomasi knows his way around Batman, but the problem uh, is Pete Tomasi knows his way around Batman. Yeah, like, exactly. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's and it, to be honest, Pete Tomasi being on it feels like a fill-in. Yes, like exactly. I don't know if he's going to be the ongoing writer or not, but kind of, I kind of hope he isn't mm-hmm. because it is so underwhelming. I feel like there's an opportunity to get someone else on there. Yeah, we will see. We will see what the deal is. But yeah, it's, it's not manipulable anymore, and Detective is not really working right now, which is a shame because the you can see what they're pl- trying to do. Mm-hmm. which is to make Montoya and Bullock the leads of the book. Mm. And it's which just not like working. a good idea. Uh, right. And it's yeah. just not working. Mm. Mm. What a and shame. It's a shame. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's, it's, yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have talked, Jeff, for two and a half hours. Yes, this was an old school one, kind of. So Yeah, we went long and we actually talked about comics we read. Yes, hooray so, for sorry, us. Sorry, guys. It's like we're getting back to classic Wade Watts. <laughs> or all new, all different Wade Watts. Yeah, exactly. Movie. Yeah, completely. Uh, we will be back in a week, maybe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we doing this week? Yeah, with the Baxter Building. That's Someone correct. on Twitter, Jeff, asks if we're going to do a Baxter Building uh, review of the, the Fantastic Four movie. Hey, the dogs are barking. Can you Yes. Hear? Oh, my God. It's wow. <laughs> I got, I'm going to close the door so you can hear me. There you go. Wow. Um, yeah, that's happening. Uh, someone on Twitter asked if we are going to do a uh, backspielding review of the Fantastic Four movie. Yes. Well, what do you think? Uh, I'd have to go and see it. I haven't right. seen that few. Yeah. No. No. It doesn't open until I thought it didn't open until tomorrow, right? Uh, I think it opened last night. Weirdly enough, like I, I definitely know lots of people have seen it. Huh. Oh, okay. Interesting. I just sort of assumed that was because it's been playing for a week over in the UK or something. I again, yeah, it's, it's been out for a while. I think in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's terrible. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. So I'm uh, like, it's apparently nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Holy shit! Really? Wow. Yeah. Apparently, it's th- apparently it's that bad. It's so bad that um, I got an email from my editor at Wired today. Uh-huh. And she was like, we were going to ask you to do a can you do five comics you should read after seeing Fantastic Four. She's like, instead, can you just call it five comics you should read instead of seeing Fantastic Four? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So apparently, apparently, she was outright like, it's terrible. Really? She, and she's normally like, oh, it didn't really come off or blah, blah. And she was like, no, it's terrible. Oh, interesting. I have to admit, part of me wants to see it. There's, of course, I'm like, there's I, I a few other ones to see, but yeah. Um, yeah, 9%. Is it 9% right now? Holy shit. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about it off air. Listeners, <laughs> tune maybe in. we will. Yeah. Maybe we won't. Yeah, uh, exactly. But one way or another, even if Jeff and I speed through the film in the cold open, which some suspect maybe what happens. I suspect uh, so. Our next are building, we're going to be starting at, uh, I issue think it's 68? 68. Yes. Yeah. 68 through what 74 I I, I obviously I think can't that's count. I think that's what we said. Right. Plus annual number 5 or 6 five, or whatever it is. 5. Yeah, okay. Fabulous. It's a date. Graham, you want to tell them where they can find us? They are wonderful listeners. You can find us on the internet. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on the internet. Um <laughs> you can find us on WaitWhatPodcasts.com, where Jeff, myself, and the amazingly talented Matt Terrell are writing written posts every week. Yes. Uh, that's right. Three times the content that you might mm-hmm. expect from us. Four times, if you include the show notes, that Jeff is going to write to accompany this episode. That's, that's right. right. Jeff's going to be writing his little heart out this weekend. <laughs> um, we are also on WaitWhatPod.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter, at WaitWhatPodcast, and separately... At Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M, and at Lazy Bassett, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. We are available on iTunes, we are available on Stitcher, we are available via RSS feed uh, from the Waitbot Podcast website. And if you like what you hear, and you're feeling generous, and or foolish with your money, we have a Patreon. We are Patreon supported. Um, we have, a, uh, Jeff, you're going to have to tell me how many people are up there, because I totally can't remember. 
109. 109 people escorting us, which is amazing. And thank you very much, everyone. Yeah. Um, That's patreon.com forward slash wait what podcast. That's it, right? I think that is. I think that's what we got. Yeah, look at that, people. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, it has been, as always, a pleasure talking to my friend and colleague, Mr. Jeffrey Lester. Oh, you know what I should say? Uh, when this goes live, the day before this goes live, that's right, I'm making weird no sense now, um, I'm guesting on Explain the X-Men. Oh, I am, yeah. I'm co-hosting with Elle Collins, and we're talking about the amazing adventure run uh, of The Beast from 1973, uh, as written by Steve Englehart. Wow. Because we thought we'd talk about some weird-ass comics. <laughs> that is wonderful. I can't wait to hear that. That will be out on Sunday, so I'll make that, sure That'll to... be out on the Sunday, so the day before um, this podcast goes. By the time, what I'm saying, people, is by the time this podcast is live, that podcast will also be live. That's yes. Explain the X-Men. <laughs> and I'll make it a point to throw a link in the show notes. So drop by uh, waitwhatpodcast.com for this episode when this episode goes live on Monday so you can get the link to go hear Graham and L be awesome I'm looking forward to that I, I'm not going to say anything about me being awesome but L as ever brought the thunder <laughs> L just be like brought the thunder Graham what <laughs> <laughs> brought the thunder you heard me L brought the thunder uh, thank you very much everyone for listening we will be back in a week with a Baxter building for now though bye bye